0: Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. and you can't compete against that on 77 WABC.
1: by the way, uh, I'm back for the Cornella as I finish up the roundup of all these broadcasting Curtis's entire weekend, and I can see uh, it's National Lazy Day because uh, there's been a shift change. Oh my God, I'm stuck with the Goldbricks, the slackers, the deadbeats of the Frank Morano show, The Other Side of Midnight. Starting with Matt Blaze, no doubt a name that is just as spaghetti as he is. I have predicted that he is probably a fugitive with multiple aliases. Oh, and I see that uh, Avery is here. And uh, Ken, who fell asleep on me last week, claiming that, like Tiger Woods, he had a popping ambient. What a miserable excuse! Thank God we have a telephone talent coordinator, Avery, here to keep the ubalancia of the McWhitey Whiteys of the Frank Morano show. Which means that when I round up the animal welfare hour with my gorgeous wife, Nancy, the animal rescuer, from 11 to 12, and then it's Dominic Carter who's the barrier. Well, the vacation kid will be here, Frank Morano, from 1 to 5, and he begins his uh, weekly trek. Five days. So uh, put that up on your calendar. National Lazy Day, which uh, the Frank Murano crew totally epitomizes each and every day. That week that I had to substitute for Frank, and let me just say, a week turned into almost two weeks. And then to be stuck with Alex, the producer, the brown nose who had his schnoz stuck all the way up, Frank's took us. By the way, a few uh, bits of information before we get started: the drought has forced France to say bon voyage to 2,000-year-old cheese. Oh, you know Frank going to be uh, umenzerebel, and, and Junior's cheesecake now has its own scented candle for sale. So I can imagine at the uh, Frank Morano household with Rachel, she's putting on the uh, Velveeta nail polish. He's drinking the Velveeta cocktails. And now they'll be able to light up the scented candle of Junior's Cheesecake to uh, sort of set the mood. By the way, I notice um, you look a little down and out here, uh, Matt Blaze. I know you've been on the road many days trying to avoid incarceration Remember, you're no longer uh, referred to as an inmate in New York State. they got a new name for you here, according to Kathy Crime Wave Hocum. I have no idea an incarcerated person or something along those lines. How ridiculous. I'd rather be an inmate. It sounds better than an incarcerated person. It shows you these people have never been locked up. Hey, inmate number 47824. Here, here. Oh, we got mail for you. As opposed to incarcerated person... First of all, you got a few more uh, letters of the alphabet in there, and it sounds far more harsh. And by the way, for all of those of you who are complaining about not being paid probably by the Frank Morano Show, the blood centers are offering uh, lots of free beer or money for a bag of blood or plasma. Naturally, plasma is at a premium. I know you're calculating that as we speak, Matt Blaze. How many pints of plaza could you end up sucking out of your veins and arteries that might help you over the hump as we approach the end of the month? Well, now I got that out of the way. And by the way, you're playing the wrong godfather. Al Martino was supposed to be the second song in. But then again, I'm expecting a lot from Special Ed. This is a crew. Avery, I'm telling you, I don't know how I'm going to get through to the 12 o'clock hour. I made it all through the weekend. No hiccups. We had... uh, the best on loan from uh, WCBS FM, Broadway, Bill Lee. I mean, famous in this industry. Meantime, we give you an opportunity, Matt Plays, and every opportunity you get, you mess up and you don't even fess up. Uh, so to the tune of Al Martino singing The Godfather, let me make mention we broke news earlier in the day. Eric Adams, uh, the swagger man who has no plan, crime is exploding. We'll talk about that. In our next hour, I mean, exploding everywhere. He decided he was going to jet off to Martha's Vineyard to the Black Hamptons and get wine-dined in pocket line by the uh, black elite. And the one thing he was able to say at his brunch, and I'm sure the uh, the drinks were flowing fast and furiously, so who knows? Maybe Frank Morano made a cameo appearance. He was able to announce, "You see, I'm on Martha's Vineyard. There's no crime." No crime. The only place there's no crime. Because then he flew back, and he participated in the Dominican parade up 6th Avenue in Manhattan, but he was a dollar short and a day late on that. Uh, If you missed it, in Martha's Vineyard, they have a black uh, American, uh, African-American film festival, and the premiere was Al Slim Shady Sharpton uh, featured in Big Mouth, Loud Mouth. That's the name of the documentary. Now, do you really think... Do you think there'll be a question in that documentary about did not you really lie, Al, you and Mason and Maddox about Tawana Brawley? Come on, didn't you? Come on, you did. You blasphemed Stephen Pagonis, didn't you? No. It'll be softball interviews. By the way, Tish James, the attorney general for the state of New York, will be in Martha's Vineyard all week, which means Trump will get a one-week break because she is obsessed, obsessed in prosecuting him. So you got Spike Lee, Al Slim Shady Sharpton, Tyler Perry. And you got a whole bunch of other B-grade African-American celebrities, trendoids, freakazoids, who have now taken over Martha's Vineyard from the Kennedys. Thank God. Somebody has finally taken it from the drunk Kennedys. They're a bunch of lushes or dope fiends. Yeah, the age of Camelot. We were all bamboozled. We were told these were upstanding uh, young Americans. It we should all be like the Kennedys. And then one day I walked into their mansion on Palm Beach. Walked in. It was like 11 o'clock in the morning. Front door was open. Everybody was half in the bag. No wonder why the women age so quickly in the Kennedy clan. Because they're attached to the whiskey bottles. I mean, they have IV bottles attached to their veins. My God, they're always drinking in the Kennedy household. So I'm kind of glad that in moving on up, uh, Jefferson and his family and the rest of the African-Americans, although you uh, certainly have not hooked your wagon to it, Avery. But I do understand that later on in the show you will give us an update of what went on in the pastor, make that the self-appointed bishop uh, church there in Canarsie, the guy who uh, ripped off, how much was that, million dollars worth of bling that he's going to rip off the insurance company for? Come on, I know you were in the pew there. We saw you in the video stream. Oh, my God, you were wearing your Sunday best. You were actually praying with the bishop, the self-appointed bishop. Anyway, there's so much to talk about. Let's open up our phone lines, 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. But of special significance, on August 10th, 2021, it was a double disgraziata, double shanda. As Andrew Evilized Cuomo, King Cuomo II, the son of Mario Faccia Bruta Cuomo, resigned over the many sexual harassment allegations against him. Just one year ago, the Perv Gov decided he would be better on the outside looking in. And remember, he had his dog he left behind. At the Executive Mansion in Albany. If anybody remembers the name of his dog, you will win a Curtis Lee with Booby Prize. Don't ask, don't tell. You will receive an amazing WABC baseball cat emblazoned with the Curtis Lee Show on it. What was the name of the Husky? The dog, the only person who would associate with Andrew Evil Como, Cuomo other than his brother Chris Cuomo, a.k.a. Fredo that he had left behind at the executive mansion. How do I know? Because I made the trip to Albany. That's right, I pounded the hound. I went to the executive mansion. There was a state trooper there, and he said, please, Curtis, take this dog. He keeps nipping us because of our gray uniforms. And I was prepared to take that dog and bring him to the Sliwa compound, the sanctuary, with the 18 rescue cats. And all of a sudden... An aide-de-camp of Andrew Evil Eyes-Coma, who is no longer, no longer on the property of the um, governor's mansion there on Eagle Street, said, stop, halt, don't give that dog up to Sliwa. If it's the last thing we do as governor with the waning moments of our administration, hell will freeze over before Curtis Sliwa gets to take that dog to a sanctuary with 18 rescue cats. Oh, we were within moments of rescuing that dog. What was the name of that dog? How quickly you forget, how quickly you forget that Andrew Evil Eyes Cuomo immediately drove all the way back to the executive mansion of the governor on Eagle Street to snatch up the dog and take him out to the compound in the south shore of Long Island. Where he resides now... He and Fredo, a long time ago, with the wartime consigliere, Joe Pococo, who had done six years of federal time for political corruption on behalf of Andrew Ivelace Cuomo. They've all uh, hit the mattresses. They're stirring the marinara sauce. It is revenge. It is a blood vendetta. And some of you should have realized that uh, Democrats who turned your back on a man who just a year before that, you were prepared... If necessary, to nominate as your party's nominee to run for president of the United States. If country Uncle Joe Biden hadn't all of a sudden come along and everybody said, bah, Biden will get the black vote, he'll win the primaries. Anything to stop, burn, baby, burn. We must stop burning the the caucus, Sanders, right? Remember? And so it was a toss-up. Do we go with Andrew Ivelias Cuomo, who was giving press conference after press conference after the lockdown and the pandemic in March of 2020? Remember, it was required watching. And there were all the groupies, the Cuomo groupies, who would watch each and every day as they had a cup of coffee to see if he had his nipple ring on that day. I mean, that became the reason for freaky-deaky women to watch those press conferences, which were endless, the PowerPoints, Madonna, my. And they gave him an Emmy. They gave him a freaking Emmy. And in the meantime, while he was being uh, wine-dined and pocket-lined to possibly run for the presidency of the United States, that would have been the first Italian-American president Avery, you've already had an African-American president. We've never had an Italian-American president. Never had a Jewish president. Probably will never have them because of movies like The Godfather and Goodfellas. That's right. But you know how close Matt place. do you realize, Avery, how close Cuomo was to possibly making it not into the outhouse but into the White House? Yes. Remember what they were saying about him? Oh, my God. Look at him. He's so good-looking, the Italian stallion. And he beats up the uh, part-time mayor, the dope from Park Slope, Bill de Blasio, at will each and every day. I mean, he used to pimp-slap de Blasio around. Remember, sometimes he would just do it like clockwork orange because he would get a vicarious thrill out of it. Even though we would have told that they were the best of buddies. When Andrew Evil Como was appointed the chairman of HUD, he replaced... Cisneros. Cisneros, I remember meeting with him in San Antonio in the bullpen. This is when community organizations get to fire away rapid-fire questions to the mayor. Henry Cisnernos, graduate of Harvard, destined to become the first Latino American president of the United States. But then he was confronted by the FTI. That's right. This is rules. Robert, rules of order for you, Matt plays, as a fugitive and also... Too bad Martha Stewart didn't learn from this. Henry Cisneros lied about an affair he had. About the Gumada. You don't lie to the FBI, right? Martha Stewart did the first time, and he came back. Never did this before, said Martha. We caught you lying. Our boss has said, we'll give you some slack. And she lied to them a second time. Out with Henry Cisneros, the Latino who could have been president of the United States. He had the full package. And in came Andrew evilized Cuomo. And it was amazing because, remember, at the height of the Democratic campaign, when Bill Clinton pulled out the nomination against all odds, when Hillary, at halftime of that Super Bowl, when confronted with all the allegations that her husband was a perv, couldn't control the angle of the dangle, all of it true, said, I've worked too hard and too long and put up with too much Michigan. Gosh. I'm standing by my man. Remember that? And remember Jennifer Flowers. Remember Jennifer Flowers with the pillow talk said, Oh, my God. Uh, Bill, that man, Mario Cuomo, sounds like a mafia don. Remember that? And yet the Cuomos forgot that. Because this is the business that they have chosen, Politics. And what an incestuous relationship it has been. Let me tell you something weird. But now it's a year later, and all they keep talking about is the women that Andrew evilized Cuomo perved, including the state trooper who remains anonymous, the female state trooper. And I asked the question that supersedes the allegations uh, about being a perp, and you know Frank Morano is going to come on, ladies. Goes, oh, that was so over the top! I love Andrew Evlachov. <laughs> Greg Kelly from one to three, Monday through Friday. Tuesday. Oh, I love, I love Andrew Evlachov. <laughs> Probably tongue kissing him. I wonder if that then affects their gender identification. I wonder if then it affects their sexual designation at that point. Does that make them non-binary? I think so. I think so. I think I'm going to have to have a sit down with, uh, Frank Morano and, uh, with Greg Kelly, who love Andrew e. the Ledger. They love him, love him, love him. I despise him. I loathe him. I have been disparaging him when he was just a little tadpole graduating, um, uh, law school up in Albany and him, And all of a sudden, his uh, his grandfather uh, decided he wanted insurance money from the key food that he owned in East New York. And he went out and he tried to get mobsters choking on their lobsters to torch the joint, but he said they asked too much money. Then he went to the local Tomahawk gang. He went to the, uh, he went to the uh, Jolly Stompers. He didn't like the price, so he said, you know something? I'm a man's man. I'm going to torch my own store. And while in the basement, climbing up a ladder and trying to put the gasoline in the vents, oh, he fell and he broke his hip and the gas was poured all over him. And immediately a call went up to the executive mansion on Eagle Street where Mario Fata Bruta Como was. Mario Fata Bruta Como was. And this was Matilda's father, his father-in-law, Rafa. And he called up the 69th Precinct, where I grew up, and he said, Hey, I need to speak to Sergeant Pepitone, my fixer. And Sergeant Pepitone went in, he cleaned everything up, he cleaned up the car. You didn't smell anything. And then the fire marshals, though, they were very suspicious. They went to the hospital, they attempted to speak to Rafa, and who stood in the door with his brand-new graduation certificate from Albany Law? That's right. Andrew evilized Cuomo who said, you're not talking to my grandfather. Oh, no, you don't. Because if Rafa had been cross-examined, he probably would have taken the Fifth Amendment more than Donald Trump did 440 times and would have been in Italian. You know, he would act, no, no capisce, no capisce English, no capisce, italiano, italiano, si, 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 no, si, si. Fifth Amendment, Fifth Amendment, chinga, 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 Amendment. I really hate them. You know, we got bamboozled by the Kennedys, Camelot. It was all lies. And then we got bamboozled about this. Oh, a neighborhood lawyer, Mario Facha Pruta Cuomo in Corona. He put together, he made the deal so that uh, the Democratic, Liberal, Progressive Jews and uh, and Forrest sales who felt betrayed by John Lindsay, would not burn down the project that they were building. And he said, ha-ha! It's not a project, it's co-ops for the elderly. Oh, that he made it all. Oh. And then he rocketed to fame. You see, look how much you're learning, That place, But in all the things I've just discussed of the life and times and the legacy of the Cuomos, might as well talk about the Trumps, too, because they were like two peas in a pod, a soup and a sandwich, a horse in a carriage. You had the Trumps in Jamaica State, right next to them were the Cuomos, Holliswood. Fred Trump, the Patriarch, got along splendidly with Mario Faccia Brota, Cuomo, and Matilda. And he used to contribute to Mario's political rise. And yes, Andrew, Andrew, he, he knew Donald and, oh, it was, uh, it was lovey-dovey. And then they made up to break up and break up to made up. And every one of you got fooled because I don't trust any of them. I never trust the Cuomo's. I don't trust the Trumps. Don't you understand? This is sort of like actors and actresses on parade and we the little people we watch this, oh they hate each other. No, they love each other. No, they hate each other. Look at what Andrew Evelaj Como just recently did in his compound there while hitting the mattress, storing the marinara sauce in the south end of uh Long Island near Quag. Sharks! 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 Out of the water and quag! Out of the water! And the two Cuomo boys, their yachtsmen, they They got the big harpoon. We'll get the big white ones. We'll save all of you and quag! And anyway, I digress. Unexpectedly, when the FBI, which at one time stood for forever busting Italians, and then after 9-11, forever busting Islamists, bum rush mar Mar-a-Lago. I mean, they bum-rushed, right? They came out of everywhere. And while, while that was going on, who took to his uh, Twitter account and tweeted out, the DOJ must immediately explain the reason for its raid, and it must be more than a search for inconsequential archives, or it will be viewed as a political tactic and undermine any future credible investigation and legitimacy of the January 6th investigations. Andrew Eyes Cuomo in defense of Donald Trump, his old friend. They've come full circle. And all of you, you get tied up into a knot. Oh, Trump, he's God. Cuomo, oh, he's the evil seed. Fredo, oh, Fredo, what is he, suing the... Uh, Clinton News Network that they became the Cuomo News Network for like three hundred and fifty million dollars. And he's gonna get some of it. I I I am surprised at our listeners you get you become sucked into the vortex of these ever changing scenarios of people who were weaned together, cool up together fundraised together, helped one another up the ladder together, saw no evil, spoke no evil, heard no evil, and then when they were at the apex of their career, they decided, no room up here for you, so I'm going to slay you. And you all go for it. You see, I follow the bouncing balls, and I say, oh, Cuomo and the Trumps, they were so friendly to one another. Holliswood... Meet Jamaica Estates, and now the question is: Why aren't? Why isn't there an investigation of all the elderly, who, as a result of an executive order signed by then Governor Andrew Evazan Como caused elderly people to be shipped from hospitals into long-term senior citizen home ca- assume, senior citizen uh, care units? Who had been infected with COVID and then it spread like wildfire. How come there's no attention to that? We're gonna deal with it later on in this hour because all they want to talk about is the perv in chief, Andrew evilized Como, and will he come back? No, Notice all this crap. Oh, he's planning his comeback, he's plotting his revenge, his vendetta. And look at Fredo. Who Fredo's gonna be on TV. Who cares? Do you know, Matt Blaze, that at one time, Fredo, a.k.a. Chris Cuomo, by the way, when I asked him on AM 970 the answer when I was doing mornings, by the way, four years of my life, I will never get back. I don't think anybody heard me there. That's what you call doing penance. But I had him on, and I said, hey, you know, they call you Fredo, and he was laughing. He was having a good old time. Then somebody else called him Fredo, way out there on Block Island, Shelter Island, I'll punch your schnoz right down your throat. They're actors. There's thespians. When will you people ever realize you're being played? Like we used to play with the Duncan Yo-Yo. Walk the dog, go to sleep. They really think all of you are stupid. They do. All of them. They give you no credit for having intelligence. They give you no credit for being able to discern one point of view for another. They assume you're tribal. That if you jump into their tribe, you'll be loyal because God forbid you vacillate. Oh, my God, you're a heretic. You're an apostate. How about being a free agent? How about listening to all of these stesbians, these actors and actresses on the political stage, and then letting them prove themselves instead of just completely reacting right away? When this... uh When this... All of a sudden, tweet came out from Cuomo. Everybody. Oh, Cuomo supporting Trump. No, he's not. You really believe that crap? Ooh, front pages. Cuomo supporting Trump. He's siding with Trump against the FBI, the Department of Justice, Biden, in the bum rush of Mario Laga. No, he's not. It's all a play. You're the audience. You're captive. Put your masks on. Socially distant. <laughs> Because that's what you've all become. Freaking sheep. Chasing headlines. Trump is God. Biden sucks. Uh, you think that's good talk radio? Well, that's not the kind of talk radio I do. Sorry. You'll get enough of that morning, noon, and night. And uh, our telephone talent coordinator, Avery, here is going. Because you refuse to tell us what went on at Bishop. Self appointed bishop, uh Pastor Whitmore's Church of the What's Happening Now, you give me a dollar and I'll turn it into a hundred dollars. In fact, Pastor Whitmore, the bishop, self appointed bishop, said, You can save your dollar bills, your fives, your tens. I'm only looking at fifties and hundreds. Golly Hallelujah, hallelujah. By the way, I'm best friends with the mayor Eric Adams and he likes me and I like him. Our number is one 800 848
0: New York's talk station with the king of New York. Oh, Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC.
1: Uh, this is like liquid Prozac to me. Little Tony Bennett.
0: I wanna be around to Pick up the pieces.
1: Yeah, this is Andrew Eagle Eye's Cuomo's theme song now. Yeah, yeah, you broke my heart.
0: Some,
2: somebody twice as smart
0: How
1: many of you were uh,
2: as
0: giving I
1: me kudos, kudos last uh, week, this time, this hour, for my tribute to Tony Bennett, who uh,
0: I disparaged?
1: by claiming he was un-American by not singing the national anthem when he ended up singing America the Beautiful at the Yankee uh, Stadium celebration, not stadium, but at City Hall when they beat the Braves 96 in the World Series. And on the ABC National Network, I said it, I accused him of not being patriotic. Then he came up to me and he said, Curtis, what have I done to deserve this? I've always supported you.
0: Schmuck, thoughts,
1: don't you realize I can't hit the high notes? That's why I don't do the national anthem. That's why this. I do America the Beautiful, God Bless America. Let's see. Oh, God, I've never so been forgiven. be taking this to my grave. So anyway, I threw out so many trivia questions. Uh, I'm, I got vertical from all those trivia questions. So let's see if we can catch up. That's Tony in Long Island, your turn gone. to be heard here at WABC, Tone. All right.
3: Captain
1: is the name of uh, Cuomo's dog? Yes, El Capitan! El Capitan! Right. I tried to rescue El Capitan! Huh. <laughs> oh, well, it, wait a second. What kind of a laugh is that? Huh. Was that, <laughs> was that a laugh or uh, was that like a disparaged way of saying, huh? You know, what yeah, kind of a no, trivia no. question is that? That was a good one. Didn't everybody know who El Capitan was and how I slept up there and how I spoke to that state trooper who said, yeah, Curtis, please take this crazy dog away. He keeps biting our ankles. (laughs) El Capitan reporting for duty. Anyway, uh, Avery, please uh, take care of Tony here. He did nail it. First of many trivia questions that I uh, brought to the forefront that I can't even remember. I think I may be uh, suffering that. First level, unfortunately, of um, losing my mind. Not dementia, not Alzheimer's, just losing my mind. Let's go to Chris in Middletown. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Chris.
2: Well, you, you you stole my thunder. What? Yeah, you did. You
4: stole my thunder.
1: Now, no, hold on a second. I didn't ask about thunder, lightning, rain. We're in a drought situation. You have that in Middletown. We are gripped in a serious drought situation throughout the tri-state area. So, no, you can't have lightning because when you have drought, you have tinder, right? Everything is, like, ready to be lit up. We can't have lightning, Chris. But with you, I have thunder. And for that, you're going to get a Curtis Lee Booby Prize. You see how generous I am? I'm not like Frank Morano, the other side of Midnight, who has alligator arms. No, you have earned a Curtis Lewa Booby Prize, Chris.
2: Well, that's why I listened to you for 30 years, because you are the greatest.
1: No, 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 no. Don't chew my BVDs and my Fruit of the Loom. Don't ruin it, Chris. Don't be a sickle fan, Tony, and lackey, please, Chris. Okay. Because I, 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 I listen to talk radio, you know, I inhale it, I exhale it, and I hear caller after caller. Oh, you're great. You're wonderful. You're the absolute best. And, you know, you have people like Frank Morano, Sid Rosenberg. Oh, he's the peacock. Oh, he's, he's strutting around. Now, Look at this, Chris. I mentioned his name. He's texting me. Look at this. Promote my book. Don't waste time on the air. Promote my book. Now I got to find the freaking book. You know, you would think it's up there with the Bible, War and Peace, Sid Rosenberg's book, Citizens United. And I'm telling all of you, Chris, at a fine bookstore near you, Barnes & Nobles, if it's still open, steal the book. Don't pay for it. Chris, steal the book. And if you can't steal the book, I'll put a fake mustache on that. But if you can't steal the book, steal page 27 and you will see. You will read in Sid's own language how I saved his radio career. Me and me alone.
2: That's wonderful. I can't wait till I steal it. Where can I steal it?
1: Yeah, yeah, you know, I'm going to take my fist and stick it right down this microphone here. You'll feel something. You'll feel vibration. Hey. Give Chris a booby prize. Avery, I know it's National Lazy Day, and I know that's symptomatic of the Frank Morano crew, who unfortunately I have to have on Sunday nights. But don't become a slacker and a deadbeat and a nord duel like them. Gold bricks. You know what a gold brick is? Anybody out there for another Curtis Slee with booby prize? What is the definition of gold brick? And when you say, oh, you're gold bricking. 1 eight hundred eight four eight nine two 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 That's one eight hundred eight four eight W A B C. Let's see if we can go to Nancy in Westchester. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Nance.
5: Oh, hi Curtis. Thank you for taking my call. I wasn't uh looking for a booby prize. I was actually just um referring to your earlier show when you were talking about, you know, the the great big sin of uh, how the elderly are treated in nursing homes. And uh if you're gonna do an expose, um, um <laughs> I'm going to help, okay, I will uh, volunteer my time. As a matter of fact, you don't need Geraldo, you just need a whole bunch of nurses and they will give you as much information as you want. And I will tell you that, you know, what you said really kind of brought tears to my eyes, I hate to say that, because you really suffer. We do suffer when we see people on the street or when we know that people are wallowing in whatever it is in nursing homes and they're being warehoused. Now, why? in this nation, why should people be afraid to grow old? Why is everybody like, Oh, you want to go there. You don't want to go there. Um, I just want to say one thing. I remember in the eighties around Ed Cox's time that there was somebody who uh, they said, this person has the right to live on the streets. And then they said, no, she doesn't have the right. I mean, how can these people choose to live on the streets? And there's one more thing I want to tell you You might want to Google this. People have told me that, Nursing home patients have the right to fall. They have the right to fall.
1: Well, you know what? uh, I am going to have an expert on momentarily, and I will ask uh, the specifics uh, of that question, the right to fall in a nursing home. By the way, the person you were referring to was named Billy Boggs after Bill Boggs. Remember, Bill Boggs used to do uh, the afternoon show on Channel 5 when it was owned by Metro Media, and he would have all kinds of trendoids, freakasoids, jet-setters on. Great show. I was on many, many times. And this woman, who at one time was growing up in New Jersey, very functional family, Uh, she had developed a lot of collegiate skills, and then for a series of reasons just hit the brick wall and emotionally Became fractured. Uh, She was sitting not far from Gracie Mansion, And Ed Koch occasionally would pass her by on First Avenue. And do you know what was the one thing that caused him to finally stop and get her sent to Bellevue for a psychiatric evaluation, Nancy? Did he
5: step in something?
1: Nope. She she pulled $5 out of her hat. Somebody had given her $5.00. And she lit it up. She torched it. And Koch said, she must be crazy to be burning money. And even though he had <laughs> seen her at least a half a dozen times before that, did nothing, the most powerful person at that time in New York City, the mayor. Uh, and then all of a sudden, instead of Billy Box getting help after she got that psychological uh, evaluation uh, at Bellevue, along came Norman Siegel, who was the head of the New York Civil Liberties Union at that time, and exploited her. Took her on a dog and pony show. She was on Phil Donahue. He took her to Harvard. He said, look, and she really is sane and sober. She's misunderstood. Meantime, her family in New Jersey said, no, 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 you don't understand, Norman. Uh, she has some real serious emotional problems. He had her uh, operate uh, as a secretary, as a receptionist. It didn't work out. And then uh, eventually she drifted off. So if we were to ask right now, and I think we should. Since we're being uh, very historical, a year ago, the perv governor, Andrew Ivelias Cuomo, uh, resigned. Uh, I want to ask a question. Whatever happened to the homeless woman who sort of became the face of homelessness in America when Ed Koch was mayor, Billy Boggs? Uh, If I asked Norman Siegel, he wouldn't know. If I asked the others who rallied around Billy Boggs and didn't get her the help she seriously needed because she was emotionally impaired... They probably wouldn't share that information uh, with me. But, boy, that was a bad, bad situation in which he was exploited to the max, Nancy.
5: I never knew what happened to her.
1: Yeah, and it's it's up to me now that you have um, heightened my need to know. You've got to find out what happened to him. And you notice I was so nice to you, Nancy. Unlike some of the other callers, because naturally you're named after my wife, Nancy. Uh Whether you were Nancy first or Nancy was first, she will be joining us in the eleven o'clock hour for the uh, weekly animal welfare update. And boy, we've got a lot of topics to cover—from the horse carriage industry to monkey pox to even the lantern fly. That to today, Chuck Schumer. The schmuck, the pots wants millions of dollars to destroy all the lanternflies. We had a lanternfly in our house here, our bathroom, and three, count them, the three stooges here today, tried to flush, 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 and the lanternfly just stood right on the porcelain panel and looking at them like, what a bunch of schmendricks you are. No, 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 we're not, we're not going to kill the lanternfly. We're not going to assassinate the lanternfly, no matter what Chuck Schumer says. You know why he wants to kill the lanternfly? You know why? Because his father, his father, you know what occupation his father was? An exterminator. That's right, on Avenue R, when he was going to Madison High School, he was an apprentice to his father, an exterminator. Doesn't Chuck Schumer remind you of what an exterminator looks like when he comes into your house? You know, with that canister and he starts spritzing everywhere, and instead of the rats uh, uh, or the uh, the coco roaches uh, passing out, people start passing. Out. Well, I sprayed the wrong spot. One eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Knows New York. He is New York. Cred that the others don't have.
0: Curtis Lewa, Talk Radio 77, WABC.
3: Smile.
0: Smile and maybe tomorrow you'll see the
6: sun come shining through.
2: For you,
6: oh, it was very difficult,
1: very difficult after the lockdown and the pandemic of March of 2020 to smile. Especially if your loved ones were in long-term home care facilities. I went to many of them throughout Queens. You may have remembered Brooklyn, Long Island, New Jersey, Staten Island, and I posted the results. I was being kept out. I was being told nobody could come in, nobody, not even the immediate relatives, not even the husbands, the wives, the children, the grandchildren. Not doctors, their own personal physician. nobody. It was totally in lockdown. And I remember uh, in Coney Island watching uh, the Hearst just come and take bodies out. At the very long-term rehabilitation center that my own father and mother had been in temporarily to get back on track, maybe within three hours there were four different hearths from four different funeral parlors that had rolled up and clearly took away clients of theirs who had passed away from uh, coronavirus. It was a killer at that time. We then learned later on that uh, Governor Cuomo had signed an executive order to transfer uh, coronavirus patients into long-term care units for seniors and caused the coronavirus to spread like wildfire. Governor Murphy, likewise, with less attention, did did exactly that, as did Governor Newsom out in California. And oh boy, the misery that followed. So all the attention a year after Governor Cuomo resigned because of the sex harassment allegations got shifted to that instead of Whatever happened, whatever happened all those years when all of this was supposed to be resolved with a new uh, Governor Kathy Hochul? We have on the line once again our very dear friend here at WABC, Jeff, uh, from uh, KG Law, who's discussed this with us at length. Uh, But, Jeff, would you be kind enough to give us an update? Absolutely,
4: Curtis. How are you?
1: Uh, When talking about this subject, I get really sad having been at these senior citizen homes when they were in lockdown, having spoken with the relatives who um, couldn't at times even get any information. It was the worst of times. And I, I would hope that things have gotten better and some of these problems were resolved. Could you get us up to where we are in both New York and New Jersey?
4: Yeah, absolutely. One of the first things that Governor Hochul did uh, when she came into office was she actually sat down with the families of uh, COVID nursing home victims, and, and, and the first thing she did was apologize. And she said, listen, you know, the, the, the state administration, the Cuomo administration, what they did was outrageous, um, and 16,000 people died as a result. Uh, she promised the families that uh, that they would have justice promised the family that she was going to uh to start that process create a blue ribbon panel to underco- uncover all the ugly truths about uh cuomo's plan and uh, uh and, and uh, his 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 uh deal with that he cut with the nursing homes and and so on and so forth uh but uh nothing's happened not surprisingly nothing's happened so uh and, and in fact uh it, He's being accused right now, Governor Hochul is being accused of trying to slow walk the creation of, of any sort of investigation into what really happened with the nursing homes. Uh, we know that there it was in fact, uh, there's legislation, bipartisan leg- legislation in Albany right now, Republicans and Democrats that are calling for an investigation so that the truth can totally be told. And that's being held up in committee uh uh in uh, by the Democrats actually uh being held up in their committees and uh it it begs the question you know are, are there are there legislators you know beyond Cuomo that are worried about the truth coming out uh and we also know that it's 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 being so slow walked and this and the cover up continues so we know Cuomo was covering up we already know this we the, there was an a g report we know that Cuomo was covering up the deaths. The amount of the deaths, he had a book deal that he wanted to go through that was saying how great he was handling the the, the, the COVID pandemic, and they covered up those numbers. And But yet, still, the cover-up continues. And, in fact, even the House GOP uh, members of the House, uh, Republican members of the House, they recently requested from hopeful data and records regarding the COVID no- nursing home deaths and that and they're being stonewalled, nothing is being turned over the the it continues
1: so so many years later, a change in administration it's not like we have Como who's the governor, he resigned a year ago this day, and we still, for many of the families it's they can't even get off first base; they were on first base, they thought they were on their way, you know, to round the bases, finally, they would get justice uh things uh, would be resolved. And I'm I'm more concerned about the next uh, epidemic or next pandemic that hits us, because every other day we're hearing about new viruses that are coming about uh, globally and locally. Where might we be if we were to be in a situation like this? It doesn't seem like we learned from what happened in the lockdown of March of 2020. you,
4: You really can't learn if you're not willing to look at and consider what happened in the past. And uh, they don't want to learn what happened in the past. So how are we going to prevent that from happening in the future? Uh, you know, I, I, my understanding is that there have been some token legislative efforts. And, and I know that uh, that Governor Hochul signed an executive order in April lifting a stay on some legislation that had increased the number of nursing staff time uh, with residents in nursing homes. But that is a drop in the bucket. Since 2014, the New York State Department of Health has um, known and uh, did a study that revealed that nursing homes were, uh, you know, are totally unprepared for for pandemics, and uh, they don't have the quarantining facilities, they don't have comprehensive infectious disease control programs, they don't have enough staff, they don't have enough uh, uh, personal protective equipment and nothing's being done, and, and and it will happen again. Unfortunately, history repeats itself, and we're not doing anything to protect our most vulnerable of citizens.
1: Now, let's look across the Hudson to New Jersey. Murphy was in a similar situation. He didn't get anywhere near as much attention as Cuomo, because obviously every day Cuomo was doing the press conferences in which he brought out the PowerPoint, and the whole nation was watching so, to a degree, Murphy got a bit of a pass. He, he had even a more severe problem than uh, Cuomo had. Where are we now in terms of how New Jersey is dealing with the past, when the mistakes were made, and what they may be doing in the future to make sure that the seniors are being uh, given their proper care?
4: Well, we know that Murphy at least took responsibility to the extent that uh, the, the, agent, the uh, facilities that were owned by the state, Um, certain VA facilities, he settled those cases, about 100 death cases, um, and those have been resolved. As in regards to the private nursing homes, it's being punted to the nursing homes. Uh, And and unfortunately, that's the same thing that's happening here in New York. Uh, Right now, I'm moving ahead with my uh, litigation against various different nursing homes where uh, that took in COVID-positive patients and where... uh, people died as a result, because regardless of whatever deal they, the nursing homes felt that they had with the governor, um, whatever deal they cut or thought they cut, the bottom line is that pursuant to New York law, nursing homes can't accept and retain uh, any patient, any resident whom they can't provide adequate care for. They knew they couldn't care for these patients uh, when they took them in at the, at the governor's urging. So we're moving forward with lawsuits against the individual nursing homes.
1: Now, the nursing homes as a body, as an entity, a very, very powerful lobbying group, both in Albany and New York and in Trenton and New Jersey. Absolutely. I'm assuming they try not to go it alone, solo, and they join forces, join resources, in order, the idea being, you know, if if one nursing home... uh, ends up uh having to pay a severe uh, price uh, for their mistakes that could affect the whole industry i i guess it's almost like uh, all for one one for all
4: yeah they're one of the they're actually the, their lobby group is one of the most it's one of the biggest contributors to um governor hokel's campaign from my understanding uh yeah and and for all we know they could be also uh lobbying to prevent all the full truth from coming out because there was a lot of communication between uh, the governor and these various different nursing homes and their lobbies when the deals were being cut to say, hey, you know, make me look good taking these patients so that way the hospitals don't get overrun and I look like a hero.
1: So at this point, What can people do in addition to contacting you and getting more information, and if they're still in need, uh, getting the assistance of KG Law? But what can they do knowing that now almost nobody's talking about it any longer? We like to talk about the sexual harassment charges against Cuomo. The other day, he demanded that Tish James, uh, through the state treasury, pay for his defense of those charges. But you almost never, ever hear about to me one of the more serious charges people dying as a result of malfeasance.
4: You have to contact your local uh, legislator, your assemblyman, your senator, and uh, because that legislation is pending, it is pending in Albany. Tell them that you support the legislation that you want to see. A, a panel, a real investigation, and an, an, you know, specifically an independent commission with full subpoena power to finally tell us what all about the deal that was being cut between the governor and the nursing homes, because the, it must have been one heck of a deal. Because the nursing homes knew, they knew, and the and the and the state knew. Cuomo knew that if they took in these these COVID positive residents of uh, uh, patients. They were going to kill existing residents. And you remember there were other ways that this could have been dealt with. There were facilities at the Jacob Javits Center. There was the Navy ship, uh, et cetera. But rather than accept accept help from Donald Trump, they killed 16,000 of our most
1: vulnerable residents. Wow, Um, 16,000. Now, Jeff? Uh, how might they contact you at KG Law to avail themselves of your services or just to get more help and information?
4: Absolutely. So um, contact uh, So it's Jeff Guzman, and uh, we're at uh, KGLawTeam.com. Uh, so it's Krenzel Guzman Herbert is the name of the firm, KGLawTeam.com, and you can uh, email us or you can call me uh, at 212 2900 Again, Jeff
1: Guzman. do appreciate that, Jeff. Uh, You know, we're talking about Andrew Evil Eyes Cuomo because uh, it was a year ago this week that he resigned, thank God. And all the attention is on the sexual harassment charges. They should be. But the even greater indiscretion, even greater violations uh, against humanity... It's his executive order that allowed all those elderly people to be shipped into long-term units for senior citizens. And they had COVID-19 and it spread like wildfire. And it's he and he alone who must accept the blame.
0: Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. You can't compete against that. On 77
6: WABC. Start my mission, leave my residence thinking how could I get some dead presidents? since I need money. I used to be a stick-up kid, so I think of all the devious things I did. I used to roll up, this is a hole-up. Ain't nothing funny, stop smiling, We still don't nothing move but the money. But now i learn learned to earn cause I'm righteous. I feel great, so maybe I might just search for a nine to five. If I strive, then maybe I stay alive. So I walk up the street, whistling this, feeling out of place. This man, do I miss a pen and a paper, a stereo, a taper? Me and Eric being a nice big plate of this, which is my favorite dish. But without no money, it's still a wish. Cause I don't like to dream about getting paid. So I dig into the books of the rhymes that I made. soon now to test to see if I got cool. Hit the studio, cause I'm paid in full.
1: Paid in full.
6: Okay. Eric B. Out.
1: and Rocky. Go to house and I go to As they the talk way. about stick-up kids. kids. And I'm going to run through a so so panoply, come a, come a litany up. of crimes that have been committed. Out, yo, that are just dragging us back into the abyss. Remember, I started the Guardian Angels in February of 1979. And we really can't compare what was happening then to what is happening now. But slowly but surely, we're slipping back, slipping back. And the big difference is, back in the the late 70s, 80s, especially during the age of uh, the crack monsters, crack cocaine, it was hitting certain areas, but you could pretty much predict the areas where the crime would take place. Now it's everywhere. There's not a place in the five boroughs of the city of New York that's not affected by crime. And people were feeling it to the point where if they survived through the 70s and 80s until the election of Rudy Giuliani, who turned it all around in 1993, I have seen so many people say, I'm out of here. I'm checking out. Uh, that, that, That sign is going up for sale sign. And the exodus continues out of the five boroughs, not because of jobs, not because of the economy. Some of it is the taxes, but almost... Almost all of the rationale is the crime and the loss of the quality of life. So uh, if I may, I just want to go through a few of these cases. Sort of gives you an idea of how our mayor, Eric Adams, said people were elected as the law and order mayor because they said, yo, you're not ready for primetime, Curtis. I'm telling you, this Eric Adams is, is a fugazi. You're going to have worse crime. Curtis, you don't know what you're talking about. It'll be better than it was with Bill de Blasio. (laughs) It actually, statistically, is worse. It's worse. Anyway, let's go through the crime blotter here on the (laughs) Curtis Lee Show. On July 24th, Diego Diaz, 19 of Brooklyn. Remember Brooklyn because we talk about Alvin Bragg being a horrible DA in Manhattan. And he is. Turn him loose, Alvin Bragg. But a guy who doesn't get anywhere near the attention, but he turns even more loose, is Eric Gonzalez, D.A. in Brooklyn, friend of, yes, Mayor Eric Adams. On July 24th, Diego Diaz, 19, of Brooklyn, had an encounter with cops. He dropped a bag in front of two NYPD transit officers and stated, I got a gun in the bag. They checked the bag. There was a fully loaded 9mm. And additional ammunition. He was charged with weapons possession and released without bail. Cut loose. Because, again, I can't say it enough in Kings County, Brooklyn, if you get busted with a loaded weapon, you do not go to jail. There is no such thing as jail for a loaded weapon. You go to a diversion program, which means... You go to Red Hook, Brooklyn, you sit down with a therapist, they give you a slice of pizza, a little can of Coke, and they suggest you not do it again. And naturally, you, you swear, well, of course, I won't do it again. And then you go back to your homeboys in the hood and you say, I can't believe these people are such suckers. They gave me a slice of pizza and a can of Coke, and they just said, don't do it again. And I said, of course, cross my heart and hope to die. Suckers. Psych. You must have seen earlier today the family, oh, I was so sad, the family of that slain cab driver, yellow cab driver, who is driving in uh, Far Rockaway. By the way, Far Rockaway is a DMZ zone. Everybody walking through those streets, who's a young male, needs to be stopped and frisked. From Redfern to Auburn to Edgemere, no doubt about it. Per capita, per person, more shootings, more murders, more crime there. Young black males, period. Oh, Curtis, you're being so harsh. No, I'm not. Try living in the Rock. I lived there. I lived at 51st right next to the fire station years ago in 1974 and took that A train all the way down... To Broadway Nassau switched to the number two train, took it on up to uh, Pelham Parkway and ended up getting trained at that Mickey D's at Allerton Avenue, White Plains Road, only to be transferred over to East Fordham in Webster because a security officer had his brains blown out and they needed a new manager there because the manager who was there said, No mas, no mas, I'm not working there. Boy, this was horrible. Five of these thugs got out of that cab. They started beating him up. He tried to defend himself, and then he hit his head, cracked it, dead. Another casualty. Oh, by the way, I think the mayor may have given up on these things. He used to go regularly to the crime scenes. Regularly he would go to the homes of the victims, which is a good thing to do. He seems to have slacked off on that. Not as much. I think he's like, not again. Well, then freaking do something about it. Here was a police officer just hours ago who was slashed while making an arrest on a Brooklyn uh, subway platform at Myrtle and Willoughby Avenue in Bed-Stuy about 12 noon. It was an emotionally disturbed young man who had three, count them, three knives on him as if he was going to be a sushi chef. And he tried to slice this cop up and almost sliced his ear off. His mother said, he's emotionally disturbed. I've been trying to get him help. They will not process him into a mental health facility and deal with his demons. I hear this all the time. Let me give you a situation in Patchogue. You know where Patchogue is? Oh, Avery knows where Patchogue is with you. you Matt Blaze, you're on the run. You're a fugitive. You would have no idea. Three people were injured in a machete attack right there at Dick's Sporting Goods store on Sunrise Highway in Patchup. Dick's! You know, we used to have Models. No more Models. You went Chapter 11. Now we have Dick's. They're going in to Dick's Sporting Goods stores with machetes. When you say machetes, I think, hmm, that's the calling card of MS-13. Meantime, a teen is wanted for robbing a 14-year-old on the number two train in the Bronx. Uh, now, they describe the suspect as around 16 years old with short-braided hair. They describe everything he's wearing. The color of his sneakers, blue. The fact that he had black pants on and he had on a white guinea tee, right? You know what's missing here, Matt Blaze? The guy's color. So is he white? Is he black? Is he Hispanic? Is he Asian? What is wrong with the NYPD that they can't give you a full description of what Eric B. Rakim would call a stick-up kid in the Bronx? This took place at 174th Street Station, and this was like broad daylight. Then, huh, this will not be good for tourism. A Saudi tourist was mugged at gunpoint outside Central Park. The 24-year-old Saudi was talking to two men about going back to his hotel room. Uh Uh-huh. I guess uh, he wasn't bound to Mecca and Medina, was he? You see, I always tell you, these Saudis, they come here, you know, they don't have the schmata on their head. They they don't have the fake uh, beard and mustache. They got the knockoff Armani suit. They're chasing trim. They're knocking back Jameson, and they're tooting that (laughs) cocaine. So he invited two men back to his hotel room right off 5th Avenue and East 59th Street around 4.30 in the morning. Hmm. The muggers took the victim's cell phone and fled on foot. The question is, what was he inviting them for? Monkey business? Hasn't he heard of monkey pox? And then up in the Bronx, man, talk about the stick-up kids. There have been two brazen robberies in which young thugs have gone into the uh, jewelry stores, and, I mean, they've done a smash and grab in one of them right by the McDonald's that I used to be the night manager of on East Fordham Road and Webster Avenue. It took close to $800,000 in merchandise, and they smashed the display cases, and, I mean, they, they were doing the bird, all of it within seconds. And then there was another jewelry store not far from there. They hit that, too. By the way, uh, have the police made any arrests? Absolutely not. Oh, for those of you who like to uh, get your Apple products taken care of, I know you, uh, Matt Blaze, uh, you know, you're an Apple guy, right? Oh, I gotta go, I gotta go to Apple, hang out there, maybe get a little Starbucks first, a double latte. Well, gunshots rang out outside Apple's flagship store in Manhattan's Ritzy Midtown which is a few days ago, one block from Trump Tower. <laughs> no arrests. And remember, I told you, like a month ago, there was a drive-by shooting outside of St. Patrick's Cathedral at 6 o'clock in the morning on a Sunday, once I had finished my shift from 12 midnight to 6, when I take you to the break of dawn, and nobody did anything about it. Any arrests made on that? No. Any arrests made on this? No. And you probably saw that video in which... Uh, Suspect in an SUV, black SUV, was right there in Ridgewood on Wyckoff Avenue and George Street. The cops were doing a traffic stop, but not like they used to do when they'd surround the car and they had their hands on their gun, which meant they meant business. Like, you better not move, or I'm gonna bust a cap right into you, right? No more now. It's like peace, love, and happiness. Let's have a conversation. I'm uh, doing an intervention. Here's my business card. I'm officer friendly. So, what did this guy do? He realized the jig was up. He puts the gas pedal down. Remember, he hit that woman with the baby carriage with the baby in it, went right through them. Then the guy was unloading the truck right. Man, smashed the guy. And then he's driving like a mad person through the streets of Bushwick, Ridgewood. And then all of a sudden, he ends up doing the bird. The car was later recovered in Bushwick. But it been abandoned. No arrests have yet been made and no description of the suspect. By the way, why were they stopping him? The driver had a suspended license. I, I, the way cops stop people now, they've been told, back off. Back off. Don't be proactive. Be reactive. Don't put your hands on your toolie, your gun. No no no. We don't want people to get the wrong idea. Wrong idea. This guy just smashed his way through half a dozen people. He rolled right over a baby in a carriage. That was a miracle that that baby is still alive. Let's look at the MTA subway cleaner who was assaulted by a individual who was harassing women. This guy should get a medal. He should be down in City Hall once he recovers from his injuries. Hopefully the mayor does the right thing by him. And his union, TWA, TWU Local 100. His name, Anthony Nelson, 35. He was cleaning up the Pelham Bay Park Station, and many of you have stopped at on the number 6 train, 9.30 in the morning. That was this past Thursday. All of a sudden, a passenger told him that someone was bothering women outside the station. Nelson goes downstairs. Now, I got to tell you. There's a lot of cleaners, a lot of maintenance people, a lot of people who work for the MTA money-taking agency, token, birth clerk, uh, token booth clerks, who would have said, not my job, call the cops, call 911. Instead, Nelson goes downstairs, steps out of the elevated station to get a description of the unhinged man who was bothering these women, and then all of a sudden he gets japped from behind, ambushed. Nelson, a father of four, was slammed into the sidewalk where he busted his nose and right shoulder. The suspect, Alexander Wright, pounced again. Nelson grabbed the 49-year-old Harlem man and, despite his injuries, held on to him until police arrived. Wright was charged with assault and harassment. You think he was cut loose by the uh, weak DA in the Bronx, Clark? I bet you he was. I can't seem to get an answer to that. As soon as this... uh, Maintenance guy is cleaner at the Pelham Parkway station of the number six train recovers. Anthony Nelson, he should get the keys to the city. I mean, this should be a symbol. I, look, you know me. I don't like Eric Adams. Uh, he he basically, uh, he psyched you all out into thinking he was going to be law and order. But what he ought to do in the administration is they ought to put aside an hour and just commend this guy use him as a role model, an example of what New Yorkers have to do because we're not letting cops do the job. Then remember the uh, guy who was sitting in a car making sure cars weren't in parking in Greenpoint for the filming of Law and Order? They do that all the time. And then somebody came up and shot him multiple times. Well, finally, the NYPD decided to prioritize that and said, well, it was somebody on a bicycle somebody on a bicycle now do you realize how many people are on bicycles in greenpoint all those hipsters and millennials going up and down up and down right near mccarran park unbelievable still no solving now let me give props where props are due to huntington out in nassau county no make that suffolk county excuse me my geography i was a little bit off but the suffolk county police are deploying 15 mobile license plate readers in the town of Huntington that can detect vehicles involved in recent crimes or individuals wanted for criminal offenses. Are we doing that in the city of New York? No. Do we have the technology? Yes. Do we have facial recognition technology? Yes, we taxpayers have spent millions of dollars for this. Are we utilizing it? No. Do we have drone technology? Yes. You go out to Floyd Bennett Field where the police keep their plane and their helicopters and they do training out there right on Flatbush Avenue on the way out to Reese Park. Do we use drones? When's the last time you saw a police drone? Not Millions and millions of dollars of technology that we're not using as crime and criminals have the upper hand against us. Where are the license plate readers in New York City? We bought them. Part of the inventory of the NYPD. Where is the facial recognition technology that we spent millions of dollars on? It's there in the inventory of the NYPD. Where are the drones? We bought dozens of the small drones. They should be utilized. They should be constantly flying everywhere. In fact, you know, when these barbarians, these uh, enemies of society are on their ATVs, their quads, their dirt bikes, right, just have a drone follow them. (laughs) The drone films them. And then all of a sudden the cops could be uh, growing barnacles on their backside at a precinct, Can be tracking them, and then finally the desk sergeant says, this is where we're going to set up a roadblock. And they put the spikes out on the road. And they say, come on, come on. And actually, ATVs, the quads, the dirt bikes, hey, you can't stop us. And then all those flat tires. And then all you do is kick them in the ass, take their ATVs, take their quads, take their dirt bikes, They have no licenses. They have no registrations. Many of them are stolen. Bring them to the precinct. And then you tell them, hey, come back with your mother. And if you can provide paperwork, maybe we'll give it back to you. This is so easy to do. And yet we make it so complicated. Unbelievable how complicated. Now, this is serious stuff. You had these illegal aliens. Speaking of illegal aliens, uh, might I hear from my husband-in-law Because earlier today, the buses came into the Port Authority and they were discharging illegal aliens who were brought across the border into Texas. And then Governor Abbott, true to his promise, were putting them on the Greyhound and sending them to the Port Authority. It was 7 a.m. Remember, 7 a.m. last Sunday, who was there? The swagger man with no plan, Eric Adams, with a $5,000 customized suit and his Ferragamo shoes. And boy, he walked right into Governor Abbott's trap. Well, he wasn't there earlier today on Sunday because he was in Martha's Vineyard getting wine dined in pocket line. How come that wasn't on his public schedule? How come none of you in the media, and I know you're listening now, how come none of you have reported it that the mayor had left New York City to fundraise to run for mayor in 2025? He's raised a million dollars. Maybe he ought to do the job first and people will contribute to him. But anyway. I want you to hear from my husband-in-law, better known as Governor David Patterson. At one point in my radio career, he was my afternoon partner at AM 970, the answer, when I did morning drive over in Hasbrook Heights, a placebo city, and then took the Port Authority bus back to the Port Authority, walked over to the Hotel Pennsylvania, and met David Patterson to do afternoon drive for AM 970, the answer. I don't know if anybody was listening but that's where he met my wife at the time, Mary. And I said, just like Henny Youngman, take my wife. He did, proving that love is blind. But today, earlier today, on the Cats uh, 8 to 10 o'clock program, John Matitas, he said something that is going to haunt him with Democrats.
2: Governor, uh, uh, the governor of Texas, Greg Abbott, has come up with, I think, is one of the most brilliant political strategies I've heard in a long time.
1: He sided with Governor Abbott. We got to play that again. He said this exclusively to John Catsimatidis. And like anybody who's interviewed by John on Sunday, it isn't even twelve noon. Brunch isn't even over. It's already in the Post and the Times and the Daily News, national publications, the Washington Post, wire services. This went viral as my uh, husband-in-law, better known as former Governor David Patterson, said that Governor Abbott was brilliant in sucking in crime wave Kathy Holcomb and Eric Adams, the swagger man with no plan. Governor, uh, uh,
2: the governor of Texas, Greg Abbott, has come up with, I think, is one of the most brilliant political strategies I've heard in a long time.
1: Ooh. You know he's getting calls. Think Eric Adams called him when he returned from Martha's Vineyard? You're damn right. You think the present governor, Governor Crime Wave Holcomb called him? You're damn right. What the hell are you doing siding with Governor Abbott? He did the right thing. That's right, Governor Patterson. Extricate yourself from that cabal. Anyway, let's get back on the crime beat. We've got to get a little Eric B. uh Rakim because this is the Bronx. These are illegal aliens, by the way. Illegal aliens who are selling... Massive amount of drugs in our communities, and especially in the Bronx. By the way, the stats, the analytics came out. One-third of all crimes are committed in the Bronx. Now, remember, the most populated borough is Brooklyn. Second most populated, Queens. Third most populated, Manhattan. Least populated, Staten Island. They have about 550,000 people. The Bronx is the place where population is depleting as we speak soon to be replaced by probably Staten Island as the fourth most populated borough. I mean, a lot of people are fleeing the Bronx because there's all kinds of mad crime, violent crime, shootings, stabbings, rapes, assaults, and, I mean, mad drug dealing. Let me give you an idea what was happening. Right across the street from PS57. You know what PS57 is? Of course you don't, Matt plays. You have no idea. What about you, Avery? Oh, that's right. You were in church today with the the right bishop there in Canarsie, and you watched him ripping off his constituents. And I'm not going to ask Ken out there, because he's probably see- sleeping at the desk, claiming he had an Abbey like Tiger Woods. Man, you better make sure that guy does not fall asleep on me again, because I will pimp slap him back into fear, fright, and reality. You don't fall asleep on me. So anyway, here are all these illegal aliens, they're mules, they're packaging heroin fentanyl. I mean, they got a whole assembly line in the tenement across from PS 57, which is not far from Vice Avenue, right by the Bronx Zoo. I know exactly where it is. So the DEA had to go in because the NYPD said, Well, you know, we haven't made enough observations or enough buy and bust. The DEA said, What the hell are you talking about? This is 24-7-365 operation here. I mean, you're talking about a major drug-dealing operation pumping poison into the bodies of people all throughout the borough of the Bronx. So finally the DEA said, you know, screw you, NYPD. We're going in there. So they rolled heavy. But they knew these illegal aliens were going to jump out on the fire escape and try to go to the roof and go roof jumping like I used to do as a kid. Oh, yeah. Alabama Avenue, East New York cops would be chasing me, I'd say, yeah, watch, watch me jump from one rooftop to the other rooftop. Hmm." Remember Paul Newman? Remember Danny Aiello picking that guy up in the rooftop in the Bronx? Hey, guys in the Bronx can fly. Bye. Well, they never quite got close enough to do that to me, but I would say, hey, cop from the 75th precinct, you think you can out jump me with my PF flyers? And they would see me fly, fly. And they'd say, We'll get him. We know who he is. We'll get him with him. We're not going to be jumping because we'll end up going straight down. We've been eating too many donuts. You think those cops are going to be going, jumping from one tar beach to another tar beach, tenement to tenement? Hell no. They know who you are back then. So, hey, we'll pick him up within a week. And then we'll give him the beatdown of his life. We will tool him up. We will get our blackjacks and truncheons out which are hidden all within our uniform. And, man, that guy will be bruised from the tip of his nose to the tip of his nose to the tip of his toe, so the next time we say stop, he's going to have a flashback and say, no problem, officer. What can I do for you today? Can I go out and get you some lunch? Huh? So, anyway, the, these drug dealers were, like, processing millions and millions of dollars. So they go up the fire escape, and the DEA is waiting and saying, ha come, come. And then they start running down the fire escape, and the DEA was waiting down there. So they grabbed them all. And you know something? They're all illegal aliens. Now, you would have thought that we would have brought ICE in, immigration and naturalization, because ICE tracks the illegal aliens, the alien gangbangers, the alien drug dealers, the alien, dealers, the alien narco-terrorists, Nobody has a better list than ICE, and the DEA, they don't have a problem. It's a federal agency working with ICE, but you know who has a problem working with ICE? The NYPD, not because the men and women of the uh, police department don't want to work with ICE, but they've been told first by Andrew Evil Eyes who called them thugs, and then Kathy C- Crime Wave Holcomb, who forbids them to work with ICE, and, of course, the law and order mayor, not Eric Adams, who has called them thugs also. So, we're gonna let more illegal aliens into our community? We're gonna end up with more problems. And this is endless. Look, look at these headlines. Stabbings on rise in New York City during surge in major crime. Video New York store owner beaten, knocked to the ground by a pair of robbers, left for dead. Guess which borough? The Bronx. Man rob sexually assaults a woman in an unprovoked NYC attack. 8th Avenue, 58th Street, Sunset Park. That's the growing Asian community. They are attacking Asians there. And then, of course, you saw that great heroic uh, Daily News photographer, 75 Sam Costanza. No relationship to uh, the Costanza of the Seinfelds. No, 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 no. Sam Costanza's stopping to have a cup of coffee at West 4th Street in Greenwich Village. He leaves his car running outside. He's a great photographer. And then all of a sudden, a guy carjacks it. And you see Sam Costanza, 75 years old, running outside with the cup of coffee in his hand. He didn't drop the coffee. Hey, man, that's good dexterity. He dives through the open window. He's wrestling with the guy. The guy drives right over his foot, breaks his foot, smashes into a telephone pole. And eventually the NYPD get there from the 6th Precinct and arrest him. Got to tell you a great story. Sam Costanza is like a gadfly. He was everywhere. So I'm going into the subway station at 6th Avenue and 14th Street, which is where you end up connecting if you walk through the tunnel from the 2 and the 3 train or right there, the F train, and you go down to West 4th Street. And I think I was going down to West 4th Street. I'm not quite sure, but I had to make time. And I could see the token booth clerk was being harassed by this drunk Mexican guy. It was a bull, Toro, Toro, el jefe. So I go up to the Mexican. No doubt he was illegal. But I couldn't ask him for paperwork because we're a sanctuary city. I say, hey, buddy, why don't you give him a break? The guy hits me in my, both my ribs like he's Julio Chavez. Yeah, Julio says that Chavez. I couldn't breathe. I had to back up. The guy's coming at me. He's, like, ready to throw blows. And then all of a sudden, I don't know, I reached for a haymaker, a lucky punch. I threw an uppercut, hit him on the chin. Now, technically, uh, Mexicans are like Irish guys, man. They don't have glass chins. Not like Italians and Jewish guys. You hit them in the chin or the schnoz, that's it. They're out for the count. Irish guys and Mexicans, you can hit them with a bat, a stick. You can take a pipe, hit them over and over. They're standing there bleeding. It's like... uh, like De Niro, right, and Reggie Bull. You, you couldn't take me down. You, you couldn't knock me out, sugar. So I knock the guy out. He flies up in the air. Sam Costanza happens to be standing there taking flicks. He comes up to me and says, you know, if that guy hit you one more time, you would have been out for the count. And you know who passes by? One of the daughters of Malcolm X, his oldest daughter, and say, Curtis, are you okay? That Mexican guy was getting the best of you. Oh, fair-weather friends, why didn't you jump in and give me a hand? It looked like you had everything in control. Ha, ha, ha. If that guy hit me one more time, I would have been on the floor. That guy had too much savesa. But Sam, the man Costanza, was there. Notice he was taking pictures. He did not have my back. 1-800-848-9222. Check
0: this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC.
1: Oh, you see, if you don't end up becoming a victim of crime. There are other nefarious forces out there that are ready to take you out, Mad Blaze, Avery. And Ken, you better not be falling asleep from Ambien. I am telling you, you know, he's a McWhitey-Whitey. He thinks he can get away with it, right? No, he can't. Nobody goes to sleep on me. But all of a sudden, who knew? Who knew? We thought it was gone in the 70s, polio. We looked at the old documentaries. Our parents told us what it was like to be in an iron lung, not to be able to move your lower extremities. And we thought, ah, not in our lifetime. Think again. It's back. It's back. It's back. One case in Rockland County. One case. And then all of a sudden, contact traces hit every sewage pit in the tri-state area. I always wondered what went on in those sewage pits and why guys were in hazmat suits and they had the Playtex gloves on. Now we know Matt plays They're taking samples of our elimination. And what have they determined? That there's lots of people who are carrying the polio virus out there who need to be vaccinated, yes. And a lot of you, you say, ah, I don't have to worry about polio. You don't even know what polio is, do you? It destroys the nerves that tell the muscles what to do. It could be deadly if it hits the nerves of your respiratory system. That's why they put people in iron lungs. Paralysis is the permanent effect in the vast majority of serious cases. Our president, back during our Depression and World War II, FTR, had polio. For many, many years. And let me tell you something no cure for polio. You could be rich like FDR was, or you could be a little impoverished urchin in the streets of the worst slum in America. And if you had polio back then, no cure. And it's back with a vengeance. In fact, in uh, jolly old London, across the pond, they want a million children to be given the polio booster because they're not sure if there are enough vaccines. And then, of course, you have heard, I know you are diligently following the spread of monkeypox. And I know they're trying to say that monkeypox can be spread by playing footsie with somebody, by snapping towels uh, on somebody, rolling in the sheets of a Motel 6, a Super 8. I know they're trying desperately to say, well, that's how the 1% get it. How did the other ninety nine percent get it? By having sex. Men with men having sex. Yes, we can say that. Because if we're going to try to prevent the spread, we gotta be honest with how monkey pox spreads. And I was one who immediately took on the World Health Organization which said we gotta change the name. There's a racial stigma to it people will immediately start taking it out on gays and bisexuals because that's how it spreads, through sexual contact. And I said, get out of here. And then all of a sudden, I saw in the Amazonian rainforest in Brazil, they're killing monkeys, thousands of them being slaughtered because those stupid Brazilians, all they do is they live for carnival, carnival, you know, every year in Rio, deck it into portraits as they are. They're slaughtering monkeys. Why? Because they think monkeys have monkeypox. They don't. Now, the question. Can the monkeypox virus spread via clothes or groceries? Yeah, here we go again. Remember COVID-19? You get a Federal Express package. You better put on your Playtex glove. Put two pairs on because you might get that COVID-19 variant from handling a box. Not And then they have all these monkeypox vaccines, which have expired. It can't be used. So they're they're going into the deep recesses. I never knew this before in America. We have these deep recesses. They're like canyons with safes in which there are viruses. And they're also stored, the vaccines, for smallpox. So they run out of monkeypox vaccines. So now they're telling you, bend over. We're going to give you a shot in your tuchus smallpox, and you say, what? smallpox? It's monkeypox. No, you're getting the smallpox vaccine. So a lot of the receivers are saying, but I don't have smallpox. I have monkeypox. Shut up. Bend over. Take your injection. And then this earlier today, the schmuck departs, Chuck E. G. Schumer. I hate him. I loathe him. I despise him. He had his weekly press conference just blocks away from our studios here at WABC. And he said he wants $22 million from who? Not him. From us, the taxpayers, in the fight against the invasive spotted lanternfly that threatens all of New York. Wait a second. It's descended on New York and New Jersey. It's everywhere. You walk outside, Matt Waning, the producer of the 5 o'clock roundtable discussion that John Katsimatidis and Lydia Saranai host Monday through Friday's he actually reported, he said, there are thousands of these lantern flies outside of my apartment. In fact, my wife Nancy said, Look, it's on a windowsill. I said, Orders from headquarters, Nancy, from the Department of Agriculture, right? The USA Department of Agriculture said, See something, say something, take a selfie of it, send it to the US Department of Agriculture. And then Nancy, it is your duty as a rock ribbed all American. To smash it, destroy it, squish it. Eliminate these lantern flies. My wife to her credit said, I can't kill this creature of God. Look how beautiful it is. The red polka dotted spotted lantern fly. She allowed it to fly away. And then the other day she was going out, and the lantern flies appreciated how she had saved one of their own and they flocked around her. And then all of a sudden, she couldn't get the lanternflies off of her shoulder. They were everywhere. It was like Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds. And then all of a sudden, when Chuck Schumer said, we must eliminate them. We need to have a war on lanternflies. We're always launching a war. War on drugs. Oh, It's always a war, right? And we always lose, right? We always, you're not going to win the war on drugs. And you're not going to win the war on lanternflies. So all of a sudden, a scientific journal publishes, say, findings, and they say, look, they're scaling skyscrapers, they're riding subways. Well, maybe the lanternflies are riding subways, but people are not. They're in fear of crime. They're lounging at the beach in seemingly more plentiful numbers than in the last two summers combined. But it may not be as bad as we thought. Oh, they've amended their initial findings. They wanted us to liquidate all lantern flies wherever they were. And so now, all of a sudden, it's really just a stressor. It's not necessary to kill them and squish them and disseminate information that suggests that we destroy all lantern flies. In many cases, like the travelers they are, spotted lanternflies will stay and feed for a while and move on. Not staying long enough to have any lasting impact on trees. We were lied to. They told us that the lanternfly sucks the sap out of all the trees and the vines in the vineyards. And so all of you, when you get on your charter buses and you go out to the North Fork for a little fumage and wine, and you're half in the bag with your friends, no more grapes to be crushed into wine. Why? Because of the evil lantern fight. But hey, why kill a good narrative? Chuck Schumer wants to spend our tax dollars. We need a new enemy. Remember, weapons of mass destruction, we're still looking in Iraq. War on drugs? Yeah, yeah, sure. Knock yourself out. And now a group of scientists have said, "Let's take a middle track here, Mad plays. Let's not squish them. Let's not destroy them. Let's study them." Like Jacques Cousteau in the sea, like uh, so many followers of not just fish and fowl and animals and birds, the scientists have said, "Let's use tiny trackers. Let's follow where these lantern flies go. Let's study them. But it's going to require millions and millions of dollars. You see, the bottom line is they all, they're all all shilling for shimolis. They all want, like, did you see a lantern fly all of a sudden tagged? You know, that the weight alone of, of, of the tag on, on the wing will cause it not to be able to fly. And then you should have seen the three stooges earlier today here at WABC. Somehow, a lantern fly had flown into the bathroom and was sitting on the porcelain palace. So, like little girlies, they were all afraid. Oh, it's a lanternfly. I said, what are you going to do with the lanternfly? Well, let's read. this. There's, there's five pages of information now that the building is given out about how to extricate and eradicate the lanternfly. So, A, number one, look at it, study it. Make sure it is the red polka dotted spotted lanternfly. Number two, do not say it is from Asia because you will stigmatize the lanternfly. And this might lead to more attacks against Asians in our community. Try to figure that one out. Take a picture. Send it to the United States Department of Agriculture. And then get some toilet paper. Surround it. Smother it. Just wring its neck. Kill it and flush it. So I hear these sweet guys running around like little girlies. I'm not going to touch that lanternfly. Oh, no, no. You squish it. Oh, I hate bugs. And do you know that that lanternfly just looked at them like, and this is what the human species is about? And the lanternfly began to fly because he can fly like cockroaches. You know, have you ever been in a in an apartment like I've been where You're coming from the outside, you turn the lights on, you look down, and all of a sudden the cockroaches are military maneuvers. And then all of a sudden they dive-bombing, they're flying around, and people say, "Eh, eh, uh, uh. They're God's little creatures. Remember when Putin drops the big one on us? Or it's President Xi, I don't know who's on second, who belly slid into third, of Red China. When they drop the bomb on us, we will all perish. We will melt. We will blend back into Mother Earth. But who will be the only ones to survive nuclear holocaust, Matt Blaze? Cockroaches who have been with us since the beginning of time.
0: New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Where did all the blue skies burn? The blows From the north of the south That's Marvin
1: Gay with an E at the end. He decided to spell his name differently than his old man, who was an abuser of him, so their family name was Gay, and he said, I'm putting an E at the end. And what a tragic story. He was top performer for Motown. I mean, there was Diana Ross and the Supremes, and there was Marvin Gaye. And naturally, a lot of other great, talented performers. But they, they were the big ones, the real big ones in the stable. This guy had so many number one songs. He was so good, so smooth. And do you know that he was gripped in such horrible depression that he ended up going back home with his mother and father, his father that he had had many problems with, in South Central L.A. And he was living in the basement. And then he got into a fight with his father as they had gotten into fights previously when he grew up. And his father shot and killed him. And there were no ramifications, no consequences. And we lost this great talent. But really, the story is, with all his wealth, with all of his talent, with all of his success universally admired all over the world for his great songs and his messages in his songs. And yet he could not escape the depression that I've been talking about in some of the many different shows that I've done here at WABC. It affects rich, the middle class, poor, third world, first world. And we've never, never, ever seem to prioritize it. When it comes to medical problems, absolutely. We're on the cutting edge but then when it comes to mental health problems, we don't want to discuss it. Now, if you're wealthy and you're on the island of Manhattan, you can't wait to share. Oh, you got to go to my shrink. Oh, I go three times a week. But if you're blue collar, working class, you're poor, you're indigent, you're afraid to say that you're going for mental health treatment or you're taking medicine or you're going for psychiatric or psychological care. Man, we got to break through that barrier. It's everywhere. It knows no boundaries. It affects the rich, the middle class, the poor. It's not just in the hood and in the city. It's in the suburbs in rural America. And we're just not dealing with it. And it's growing and growing and growing. Let's go to Eileen and Howard Beach. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Eileen.
7: How how you do? Oh, can't say that. Curtis was the dog's name, Captain?
1: El Capitan. Yes. You mean Andrew Evelyn yes. Cuomo's dog that he was ready to leave at the uh, yes. at the governor's mansion until I came along and wanted to rescue him with Nancy and bring El Capitan back to the upper west side and actually continue to raise him with our 18 rescue cats boy that would have been interesting Eileen our apartment is only 328 square feet but I was prepared to do it and then Cuomo all of a sudden turned back Drove all the way back. He was halfway down the New York State two-way in order to say, you won't get El Capitan if it's the last thing I do, Eileen.
7: (laughs) Uh, Curtis, also I wanted to say when you talked about uh, the nursing homes, I worked for NYPD and Brooklyn at uh, 42nd Street right there was a police detail. Coming back from Costco from 3rd Avenue, I was with a partner coming up the street, for Funeral Parlor, Diagnostic Course from St. Michael's. I said, we got to close the window. You smelt the bodies that were under the canopy in the plastic. Uh, it was a plastic canopy. Let me tell you, they should do something against this nursing home. I'm with you. If you need somebody to march, you give the directions. I will be there. I'm only 80 years old, but I will be there. I'm strong.
1: Now, the question is, Eileen, do you live in New Howard Beach, Old Howard Beach, or Hamilton Linden Beach?
8: Lindenwood.
1: Oh, okay. Lindenwood. Oh, well, that's not quite Howard Beach. Yeah, Eileen, you know, oh, come on, folks.
7: come on, Eileen. I
1: mean, there's ozone park. There's <laughs> Lindenwood. You're near the conduit. Next stop, East New York. You realize that, Eileen? I
7: know. I write off the Bell Park used to zoom into work at 4.15 in the morning, pick up my friend, and then we go to work right there in that courthouse at 4201 4th
9: Avenue. Oh, Reed. yeah.
1: You know, Eileen, stay on the line because you have earned a Curtis Lee booby Prize. Please, Avery, take care of her. I remember I was a kid, I lived on 88th and Boyd for one year. One year, right by the A train, I would see the silhouette. It was reflecting uh, on my wall of my uh, room uh, that my mother and father provided for me and uh, my two sisters who had their own room. 88th oh was great, Ozone Park. I'd see the A train go on the Lefferts. Now you know why I, like, love trains. And then one time we went into Lindenwood. It was like, wow, this is, like, different. It's like every house had a flag. It was a single, single private home, old school, like Leave It to Beaver, Father Knows Best, Little House in the Prairie. They had a green there with a huge flag. And my mother said, Yeah, this is Lindenwood. Nirvana Paradise. Not Howard Beach. Too many of the Cougines and Gavons knew Howard Beach. Old Howard Beach, eh, you had some galons, you had the Irish. And then, across in Hamilton Beach, no, not the blender, not the blender Matt plays, you had the shanty Irish, not the lace Irish, the shanty Irish. They lived on houses on poles over Jamaica Bay. Now back then, the stink in the summer, my God. And you know, the turlet would just drop, right? You'd see the flap go down. What the hell is that? So we're fishing. We we had the bottles, you know, the Elmwood bottled milk. You know, we we had little string around it. We put the breadcrumbs in it, the silver cup bread. You know, we wanted to get the uh, the killies fishing for killies, like we were big, uh, you know, uh, fishermen. And so me and my supreme cousins were fishing, and they had this footbridge that connected Old Howard Beach to Hamilton Beach. On their side, all Irish Italians need not apply. Guineas, Wamps Daegles, stay on the Howard Beach side. So I said to uh, Lenny Beans, Bianchino, and Joey G, the chief from Howard Beach, my cousins. I said, look at that Irish guy in the middle of that wooden bridge. He's got freckles. He's got orange hair. He's got his shirt off. He had the bohack beer next to him. This is like 9 o'clock in the morning, right, drinking bohack beer. I said, Lenny, he's got a pail of gasoline. Nah, you're imagining things. Come on, what do you know? I said, Lenny, he's got a pail of gasoline, and he's, like, mumbling to himself, come on, just get some Keely so we can get out of here. He walks into the middle of the bridge screaming, you wops, you daggles, you you guineas, you're never coming here again. He pours the gasoline out. He lights the match. He almost blows himself up. The whole bridge burns down. London Bridge is falling falling down, falling down, falling down. I said, hey, Lenny, hey, Joey, gee, you see? So I said, hey, I guess we're not going to Hamilton Beach anymore. And then the only way to secretly maneuver your way into Hamilton Beach, best best kept secret in New York, you had to go to downtown Howard Beach. They had a downtown, two blocks. The movie did it there. They called it downtown Howard Beach. You walked along the fence where the train ran, and you hoped that the Irish wouldn't see you. They had to... The fire department, their fire department, they actually had a post office. You knew that was a serious part of New York City. I hope the Irish don't see us here. There's no way to chase us back. There's no bridge anymore. And we're not swimming in that sewerage there. Oh, the memories. It was so great. So great in growing up there. New Howard Beach, old Howard Beach, Hamilton Beach, the conduit, Lindenwood, Ozone Park. Broad Channel, the Irish Riviera. Oh, God. I have to tell you about Breezy Point. Oh, I got to tell you about Breezy Point. So there I am, my place. Some of my fellow uh, high school students, all Irish, going to Brooklyn Prep at that time, lived out in the Rockaways and had summer homes in Breezy Point. Like uh, the recently departed Michael Long, chairman of the Say Conservative Party, like Charlie Hines, the former DA of Brooklyn. A lot of people had summer homes in Breezy Point. you had to be Irish. So the Brooklyn Prep kids are having parties out there. They say, Curtis, you got to come to our party. I say, you know, I'm not Irish. Doesn't matter. You walk along the beach, you know, with Fort Tilden. You just keep following the lights. And you walk and you walk and you walk. And then all of a sudden, the breezy point cops come out. Where are your papers? I felt like an illegal alien crossing the border. Well, what is your ethnic background? What is that name, Sliwa? said so it's Polish. They said Polish? No, Polish. There's no Polacks out here. So you better find your way back from wherever you came, because you're not permitted here in Breezy Point. Man, they were strict. Whew. I just had flashbacks. Man, I don't think I'm going to recover. Let's go to Mark in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Mark. What do you mean, how's it going? What do you mean, how's it going? I just, I just told you my entire history. I mean, what do you mean, how's it going? I'm purging myself. Well,
2: let's get into it. I, I want
4: to go back to gold breaking I think the new definition should be a typical politician because all they do is get paid and just make work projects, make it like they're doing something and they really don't.
1: That so is it. No, no, that, Mark, that is excellent. Please, Avery, take care of Mark here. He is one. He is... That's what politicians do. They're gold bricks. Excellent. Let's go to Leonardo, not DiCaprio in Essex County. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Leonardo. That's my cousin. He's not as good-looking as me. Anyway, the
4: gold-bricking was the military thing when you were a shirker, a lazy person, kind of like uh, Evil Eyes Cuomo when he shirked his responsibility to captain. But
1: uh, I wanted to No, 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 that no, no, Leonardo, let me... Let me... Quantify that. El Capitan. El Capitan. There you go.
4: <laughs> but I wanted to say, I thought, you know, when they went into uh, Trump's house, that it was a good thing that they asked uh, his lawyers and turned off the security camera because I think that Merrick Garland uh, would have been embarrassed when he was trying on Melania's dresses. Oh,
1: God. It's horrible. He ruined it. He ruined it. So here, it's National Lazy Week, and I am stuck, unfortunately, with the gold bricks from the Frank Morano show. He'll probably be sashaying his way in. 1 o'clock in the morning to 5, the other side of midnight, and in between it'll be Dominic Carter. But up next, the most requested, the most called into, the most information provided by any of the hours that I do, nonstop in the Cornella here at WABC, where ABC stands for Always Broadcasting Curtis, the Animal Welfare Hour featuring my gorgeous wife, Nancy, the animal rescuer par excellence. Over the course of human history,
0: human history. of human history, there's been Noah's Ark, savior of mankind, St. Francis of Assisi, foregoing his wealth to be savior of all animals, and Curtis Slewa guardian angel and savior of New York City, protecting both man and man and beast. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. From bipeds to quadrupeds and everything in between. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa.
1: Wow may be a problem having an ark for all these animals because we're under drought restrictions in the tri-state area. Drought out in Lake Mead near Las Vegas, even though they're getting flooded, but it's not helping the reservoir. Droughts by the Colorado River that feeds California. Droughts in France, droughts in Spain, droughts everywhere. Nancy, where are we going to put this Noah's Ark? There's no water.
10: I mean, as long as we have running water on the ark, we're okay.
1: Ah, yes. And remember, we have to choose of each species two, the XX chromosome and the XY, right?
10: Uh, Well, as long as they can procreate, yes, correct. The problem
1: is now, as you know, with humans, there are 72 different gender identifications. And along with that, all kinds of sexual uh, connotations dependent on that moment, that week, that day, that year. It's not going to affect the animal community, I hope.
10: Well, no, I mean, again, as long as you keep in mind that as long as they can procreate, that's, you know, in terms of uh, that element, that's all that really matters.
1: Now, the story that has taken on a life of its own because the video was so graphic of the um, carriage, uh, the horse and carriage driver who was standing over the horse who was halfway between Central Park and the stables in Hell's Kitchen. The horse looked like it was already dead when I saw that video. It just, like it hadn't eaten. It was just passed out. And we all saw him whipping this horse over and over and screaming, get up, get up, get up. You've been involved for many, many years, long before I got involved in trying to prevent there from being any more horse-drawn carriages uh, serving the public uh, at Central Park. Describe for us what happened in this one circumstance that has rekindled this debate.
10: So this was a horse that apparently had uh, completed its day's worth of work, and the driver is uh, bringing it back from uh, Central Park area to the stables, which are on, like, the West Side Highway, And the horse had collapsed. So the driver, you know, was trying to get the horse up and was, you know, sort of uh, hitting it, like trying to, you know, make it stand again. And it just, I mean, for whatever reason, it's health, it decided it wasn't going to get up. And it was laying in the middle of the street during rush hour uh, on Ninth Avenue. And... You know, so obviously there was a big outcry about it. It took a while for the uh, NYPD to show up. They actually had, um, you know, like a van that showed up and they brought it back to the stables. But you know, again, so this is like an ongoing issue, right? Now, the the question of how the condition of these horses is, I mean, it, it's it's doesn't seem like no matter how you slice it, it's not a it's not a good thing to have what should be really animals living in the wild, in the country, you know, in some place other than the city. But, you know, they have a specific protocol at a certain temperature. It can't work the horse. And this was right on the edge of it with humidity. I mean, this horse clearly was struggling because of the heat. But then after the fact, they're showing the pictures of this horse. I mean, this horse is emaciated. It had a, a number of wounds on it. Uh, you know, the NYPD, even though they did get involved and they're actually tasked with uh, animal abuse issues in general, they're the responsible party for sort of investigating this. This would have been a an incredibly um, appropriate situation for them to have kept the horse. And said look you know you're not taking care of it appropriately and then they should investigate animal abuse issues they didn't they just actually relinquished the horse uh, back over to the stables and of course it was defended oh the horse was fine the horse is well cared for Uh, we did some tests after the fact and it had some other issue I mean all this stuff just to really mask the fact that this is really an inappropriate situation for horses to ever be in so I mean, it, 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 this needs to be called out, and hopefully this type of situation really brings to light how completely ridiculous this is to have these animals working in the city at this point.
1: Our right, number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's bifurcate each stage of this. The horse carriage driver, his name is Ian McKeever. He is in this video whipping this horse, screaming at the horse to get up. I don't know of any manual or any training that suggests if a horse is passed out like a human being is passed out, obviously dehydrated. It's tremendous heat. In fact, you had told me you walked half a block that same day, and you, you almost passed out yourself going to the store. But the horse was out, was out for the count. He's whipping the horse over and over. And then the person that runs the horse stalls in Hell's Kitchen was saying that this is normal protocol. That's how you get a horse up off the ground.
10: Yeah, I mean, and, and this is where they're going over the top to – I mean, uh, this is where you know they're avoiding the fact that this is something that shouldn't be occurring – this idea of trying to protect supposedly this industry these um you know few amount of workers who are doing this they can do this with the electric carriages but for some reason this union is holding steadfast onto making horses do this now again the riders the people who are actually uh, manning these uh horse drawn carriages there's no indication that they have any degree of training related to uh, animal welfare and clearly the stable, which is in charge of monitoring the health of these animals, the fact that they're not clearly aware of the status of these animals because this horse was already in a bad condition. It shouldn't have been on the road to start with. Everyone's defending this you know, to the umpteenth degree for no reason that makes any sense. Everyone can have their job. They just have to switch over to something that's a little bit more logical, like the electric vehicles. None of these people have any expertise in animal welfare. They're trying to hold on to this dying industry for no reason, and horses are suffering as a result. This is completely unacceptable.
1: So the president of TWU Local 100, which uh, manages the affairs of people who work in the subways and some of the bus drivers, not all the bus drivers. Uh, this is a small little portion of their union, microscopic. And yet they've gone to the mat. The president, who knows nothing about horses, I mean, he'll tell you in private conversation, he's not a horseman, was suggesting that this horse collapsed because it had ingested possum poop that it had eaten possum poop. And everybody, upon hearing that, said, how did the horse eat possum poop? And why would that have caused the horse to look so frail? You could see the bones sticking out of its side. It looked like it it was emaciated. It hadn't eaten in a long time. And you would say, my God, who's inspecting these horses? It should well, be an and, inspector. And, and, and-
10: and that's what goes to show, like, um, what level of care that these horses are getting to begin with. It took this completely disastrous situation for them to have this horse examined by a vet and note that it was by a vet that is related to them. It wasn't as though they said, oh, look, it's an, like if it was a person, okay, emergency situation, you bring them to the the ER, a hospital, this horse wasn't taken to an independent vet. A vet didn't show up on the scene. They were willing to ship this horse back to what would be, you know, in my opinion, consider it's, it's abuser. And you're saying, okay, well, we're going to let you give us a uh, notice of what's the health condition of this horse. And was this something that we did wrong? How in the world could you possibly trust that opinion? Like it's completely absurd, ridiculous. So again, they, they were forced into saying this and then they double down on the incredibly ridiculousness of this situation by saying, "Oh, this is protocol. Oh, he did the right thing. Oh, the, this horse has been examined. Oh, this horse has been living fine." Anyone who you know has eyeballs can see, no, that there's something wrong about what this what they're saying. And again, what, why they're holding so steadfast to this? makes zero sense in the world unless they're at heart animal abusers. This is ridiculous.
1: Well, what bothered me the most in that video that went viral was that as the horse was laid out on the asphalt, and remember how hot the asphalt is, uh, it's it's black tar, so it's so hot to be on that surface, and people are buying bottles of water, and they're pouring it onto the ground because he couldn't pour it into the mouth of the horse because the horse had the bit in its mouth that it, that it wears when it, it drags the carriage. And the the carriage uh, driver, Ian McGaver, wouldn't even take the bit out of the horse's mouth. Now, the horse is desperately trying to lick up the water on the asphalt, and they're screaming at him, take the bit out of his mouth, wouldn't do it.
10: Yeah, and, and the concern supposedly was that if the bit was taken out of the horse's mouth that the uh, driver couldn't have recovered control of this horse. Like, I mean, if you are looking at what is going on, I can't imagine anyone being concerned that this horse is going to run amok through the city streets. It can't even work. Like like no horse would actually choose to sleep on ninth Avenue during rush hour. I mean, the horse couldn't even move. So – but then again, that also goes to show you that the people who are driving the horses, they're not, you know, actually very knowledgeable about the, how you deal with horses in general. So they're just going by whatever instructions they might be getting, and this isn't really their field. It does, again, but it, it just – it it goes to show why this is so completely ridiculous – you know, the the industry itself is relying on the fact that there's a very weak law, oh, it has to be a certain temperature, 90 degrees, which is like the temperature when they have to stop them. But when you take into account that it's not just 90 degrees, it's, okay, plus humidity, plus the fact that they're in the sun all day, plus the fact that, like you said, they're standing on the concrete, plus the fact that they have a metal bit in their mouth. All these things make it a, a very different situation.
1: Well... Uh, our numbers, ladies and gentlemen, if you'd like to weigh in on the animal welfare hour here at WABC, 1 800 848 9222. That's 1 eight hundred eight four eight 848 WABC. I know that, uh, Councilman Robert Holden of uh, Middle Village, uh, Maspeth, uh, Glendale has led the way on this, trying to get legislation uh, into the city council to do away with it once and for all and to bring in the electric carriages which are now in place in uh, Mumbai, uh, which is the new name for Bombay that used to have horse-drawn carriages. Uh, Las Vegas used to have horse-drawn carriages. No more. They have the electric carriages. Uh, Santo Domingo uh, in the uh, DR, likewise, Guadalajara, third-world countries, first-world countries are eliminating the horse-drawn carriages, but stubbornly New York City continues to have them.
10: I mean, and again, like kudos to uh, Robert Holden, because this is something that needs to be really addressed um, You know, right now. I mean, you can't wait any longer on this type of issue. And I don't believe any uh, particular council member has any vested interest in this. No one has to be concerned about, which I'm pretty sure most of them are. It's like they won't really speak up if they think they're going to lose votes. This is almost an issue where you can't lose no matter how you slide. Just do the right thing. I mean, that's all you need to do. It's the right thing. It exists. There's other methods of transportation that you can utilize. And, I mean, the fact that we're behind third world countries on animal rights issues should disturb a lot of people living in New York City.
1: Our number is one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. 848 9222 Earlier today... In uh, Chuck Schumer, U.S. Senator's uh, weekly press conference, every Sunday he has a press conference, he decided to declare war on the lanternflies by asking for $22 million from our federal treasury to help New Yorkers eradicate, destroy all the lanternflies. I see you have responded, and you are calling it lanternfly genocide.
10: Yeah, so uh okay, so again like with the lantern flies, now this is a a curious situation as well. Now these uh lantern flies, they're being called an invasive species. They're popping up in, you know, places out of nowhere in New York City. Now whether or not it's because it's being called to people's attention, who knows, but the whole uh fear was it's going to affect trees. So at, you know, the the whole message initially started off as soon as you see them, step on and kill them. There was even indications you should uh, you know, if you find them, freeze them and then call the, you know, Department of Health and we'll come and collect the specimen. Like very <laughs> crazy barbaric stuff. And the 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 reality is so these lantern flies, they've only appeared uh supposedly in the United States for the past Uh, maybe like five or six years, the idea that they're considered invasive species, but they have no harm to people, animals, and it's a question mark as to whether or not they would actually be harming vegetation, right? That's the whole concept. But it seems like the only thing they might be affecting potentially is vineyards. So uh, in terms of uh New York in general obviously there's uh you know a fairly uh large size uh Vinter sort of uh corporations like you know businesses that you know profit off of growing grapes and making wines things like that now, where these lantern flies first appeared was in Pennsylvania, and since their first appearance, all the people who have uh the uh vineyards they figured out how to, you know, sort of uh, deal with them the same way they do with any insect that might be, you know, potentially in their area that could be harmful. And in the several years that they've shown their face in Pennsylvania, they've gotten it to the point where it's not even an issue. So it seems like a far stretch for Schumer to be claiming this is a, you know, invasion, it's a big problem for the city because they haven't even shown any facts that it's done anything, just just their presence, right? So the presence of them. And then the other thing is, you know, the question should also be, well, why is it that they, you know, whatever it is that would normally be, you know, killing them, there's a little bit of an imbalance So maybe that needs to be looked a little more into, to think that you can stomp out any sort of uh, species of animal, insect, whatever, without doing the research into why it's happening because maybe you need to do a little more research into that question because maybe that's the bigger question right there.
1: Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to the phones It's Denise calling from Long Island. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Hour of WABC. Denise. Hi,
9: Curtis. Hi, Nancy. Curtis, I spoke to you a couple of days ago, and we talked about the carriage horse and the carriage horse incident. I didn't get the chance to ask you. Uh, uh, Nancy, uh, just as a little background information, uh, quickly, I was immersed in, in trying to abolish the carriage horses in the 90s. We did everything underneath the sun. NY class was involved. I mean, the the drivers there were so many cases of abuse that there was a lawyer that offers his services. Uh as I said, NY class was involved and there was an electric car that was shown under the Blasio that he was in favor of, of getting the horses off the streets. I even said to uh, to Curtis, I'm trying to speak quickly to you, that um it was mandated at one point that they had to be off the streets of Manhattan because over 91, without the factor of the humidity, and under 19, they're supposed to be off the streets without the chill factor. Okay? So, obviously, they are back on the streets again. So, you're talking about this Robert Holden, city councilman, and right. NY class, are they involved?
10: Well, you know what, as far as I know, NY class is always involved. As far as I can tell so far, they haven't been able to accomplish the task, which always makes me a little concerned because, you know, if they were that all in and that's really their main issue, I'm kind of concerned as to why they can't accomplish it in all these years. They've been addressing it.
1: Anyway, let's go to Patrick, who's calling from Huntington. Your turn to be heard on the Animal Welfare edition of WABC, Pat.
2: Good evening, Nancy and Curtis. Yeah, it was just a little comment, horses in general. Uh, let me just start off. Your colleague, Greg Kelly, the other day infuriated me. He was defending this horse uh, carriage industry up and down, that the city needs the industry. And I was just disgusted by his comments. And he mentioned, you know, Kentucky Derby, which is my, which is what I want to point out right now. The horse racing industry in this country. I mean, everybody knows the Kentucky Derby, all the pretty ladies with the hats and the mint juleps. There are thousands of hundreds of tracks across this country where people are sleeping in the barns as groomers, as hot walkers, paid uh, pennies. And they live in, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? A scholar? What's the word? Uh, but. Squalor. Uh, squalor. Yes. And it's, uh, it's besides the horses, it's a human rights violation to how you know, children living in bonds, families with the horses. And there's a lot of tracks, there's hundreds of tracks in this country where these horses break down and die on a daily basis. And and nobody cares and it gets no press.
1: Well I think you know? uh I think Patrick there's so much money that is made tax wise from horses. Um and also now casinos are tied in to uh the purses that are offered for the various stake races. It's synergistic. But yeah, yeah. there's very little understanding of how easily horses break down, especially thoroughbred horses because they have such huge bodies on such Uh, really thin, tiny legs, and then you have the larger horses that are being used to pull the carriages, and horses are made to frolic, horses are made to play, whenever you see them in the open fields, they're always having a great time, they're smiling, they're like laughing, they're having a great time, you see them pulling a carriage, their head is virtually touching the ground, and it's like they're tortured. I, I, yes, I, I agree. I, all you have to do is watch him. And I'll have a conversation with Greg. I just think uh, that he hasn't really looked at it in totality because you have people who will give you propaganda from one side, the other side. You really have to go out yourself, as I did, and observe the horses. I saw them earlier today on my way to the Dominican uh, parade on 6th Avenue. I was walking down Ninth Street, and you saw it was like four horse-drawn carriages waiting for passengers their heads were down, almost touching the ground. They—you just look at their face; they look miserable.
2: Uh, wasn't there a rule a couple of years ago if it were the temperature, the horses wouldn't go out? I know last week it was ninety-eight degrees.
1: Yeah, no, they've—they've they've claimed that it's ninety degrees, Patrick. But as uh, Nancy mentioned, with the humidity, it feels like a hundred and five. You hear the weather forecast saying it's going to be ninety but it's going to feel like it's 105 out there. People are practically passing out. You imagine hundreds and hundreds of pounds of a horse having to exist in that condition, and they look like they're ready to pass out. And then imagine, uh, Patrick, all of a sudden you have uh, a family from Iowa, and maybe the total poundage of the family getting into that carriage is about 1,000 pounds, and you even see the horse. The horse looks around at the people that it has to pull. Like, are you crazy? I got to schlep them through the park? It's nuts. Anyway, let's go to John in Reno, Nevada. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition of WABC, Johnny.
7: Hey, uh, Curtis and Nancy. I uh, I was horrified when I first saw this uh, story come out. So I called Transport Workers Local 100 to try to get their comment on the case, and they hung up on me. They wouldn't talk to me.
1: Yeah, I would say, John, you're not alone. When I was running for mayor, uh, they're a major union, and obviously I know more about the subways and buses, the people they represent than my adversary, uh, Eric Adams, did. They wouldn't uh, even uh, return a call from me. They just... uh, They're jerks. They're real jerks, John. There's no other way of describing it. Uh, And if they're jerks to the general public, you can imagine what they're like in dealing with matters uh, of their own union membership. And and you
10: know what? In terms of leverage power, they have all the leverage in the world for this particular um, group of workers they have because of the public outcry against it. So they should be demanding, okay, we're going to continue to represent our workers, but since people, the public at large, they want electric vehicles, we're going to put the onus on the city. They can make that demand. They're caving to the city in spite of all the support they have from the public. It's like that's the union failing the public and the city at large.
1: Our number is one eight hundred eight let us go to Pat in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition of WABC, Pat.
7: Oh, all right. Thank you. Um, Hello, everyone. I want to talk about three things. One, number one, I don't like bugs, and they have to be um, killed. I mean, I'm sorry you're defending that uh, fly. Number two, the horse. The horse is in uh, New York. It's horrible. I remember that white horse collapsed on the um, street years ago, and uh, it was a horrible sight. This is not Bonanza. Number one, it is not a bonanza. Nobody has a cowboy hat. The horses have to be taken out of New York uh, streets because it's not bonanza. Number three, I like to talk about people that feed cats and uh, and they procreate, make more cats. If that's 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 a crime. It's uh, criminal to be doing that to them. My granddaughter, it looks like she took another one in. Uh, and uh the neighbor next door he thinks it's cute, he thought I, I I tried to talk to him, but you know i I said the wrong words, and I more or less uh turned him off. to be feeding wild stray cats is it's it's, it's it, that to me, I don't like that that's not that's not showing that you have a, a heart or or you have humanity. Leave the cats alone, don't feed them. They're procreating, and there's not too many too too many uh, 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 people like my granddaughter that's going to be taking these animals in. The first one she took was blind. It had to had went to the um um what do you call that person? Uh, the veterinarian. All the injections it, it had to had to be cured from the blindness. Now this other one also looks like it's half dead from a picture she sent me.
1: Right. Now, now, Nancy, much. uh if you can uh describe the variances there that uh Pat was discussing when it comes to the rescue cats
10: okay, so um so to address that issue overall, um you know she said oh, with, with her granddaughter, and there's not too many people who do that, I definitely beg to differ because there's a lot of people who are very Um, vested and interested and spending their time and money and effort to help the outdoor cats. But then to her point, if you have people who are uh, just putting food out for the cats, but not going the extra step. Now, this is where the education part comes in. So if your granddaughter is doing what she's doing, and if you're now aware of it and you're speaking to people the appropriate model for taking care of these outdoor cats uh, it's called like tnr so spay neuter return these cats you if you bring them to the shelter they're going to be euthanized if you take them out of the location other cats who are being you know procreating elsewhere are just going to fill in the gaps the responsible appropriate best way to do this for everyone involved is you fix them you return them to the location and you have someone who's taking care of them. Like they're feeding them daily, they're putting water down, they're putting housing out in the winter because this is the only solution. Until you have a zero outdoor cat population, which is very difficult, if you just take them away, there's just gonna be other feral cats that procreate because they, they have babies so quickly. People who are taking care of them, once they fix them, they're healthier they're not doing you know not creating any additional kittens and then this is how you keep a like a, a location in check because once these cats are there they're they form basically what's called like a colony and they you know sort of a have a, a zone of safety you're feeding them you know and it's like so you're taking care of basically this certain area so until the city steps in with its shelter system and goes out and actually does this proactively spaying and neutering, people who are taking care of outdoor cats are doing the right thing. But to your point, you're correct. They need to be educated on the next step if they're not fixing them. And if they don't know how to do that, they can definitely just reach out to any basic um, you know resources on in New York City. There's places where you can get TNR certified, you can go to a, a lot of sites to figure out how you do that. But, again, I, I think her sentiment's in the right place, and as long as she focuses it in the right way, I mean, we want more of her than other people.
1: Let's go to uh, Stephanie calling all the way from Montreal. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition at WABC. Steph.
5: Hi. Um, well, thank you for taking my call. I just wanted to let you know that the same thing happened here Um uh, uh we had several carriage horses that had collapsed down to in downtown Montreal and after years and years of lobbying by city by um by the SPCA and by uh, you know local city um groups um they anyway the, the mayor brought in uh, a law she had enacted a a, a law that uh, a bylaw that would ban carriage horses from from the streets of montreal so we don't have them anymore
1: well also stephanie um you know when you take your subway there your subway has rubber wheels instead of what we have in new york city and you have stained glass window and sometimes music pumped in yeah. <laughs> when people go to montreal they say wow why can't we have a subway like you guys have
5: yeah, well, no, I'm calling about, about the horses. Not oh, no, no, I, the, I just
1: uh, wanted to, I, I wanted to <laughs> add on to it because in addition to uh, doing away with the barbaric, uh, inhumane uh, utilization of the horse-drawn carriages, we can learn a lot from how Montreal runs the subway system. I don't know. You've never been there, uh, Nancy. Rubber wheels, stained glass windows, and pumped-in music and a clean system.
10: Yeah, no, that that sounds um very lovely. Uh I'm not sure when that's coming to New York City, but so to just address what what she was saying, I would say, you know, the idea that there's certain like for instance the industry of having uh horse drawn carriages, it's a very, you know, specific industry. You can address that. Like as opposed to like for instance with the feral cats, you know, that's something that's much more at large. So it's great when a city decides to take hold of things that are within its reign to do so, because, you know, this way you want to start encouraging the right attitude toward animals. Like, I mean, they're not here to just serve man and, you know, whatever happens to them, we're going to overlook. So if you do that stuff that's within your control, hopefully you lead to the right uh, sentiment for people who are trying to help a lot of these animals living outdoors that you know haven't been yet addressed or covered by the city ordinances and people are doing the right thing to help them. Our number
1: is 1-800-848-9222. The Curtis Slewa
0: show presents Curtis's Ark with Nancy Slewa. Now with Nancy Slewa. Here's Curtis Slewa.
1: Back to the phones we go, Nancy, and to Maria in New Jersey. Uh, Welcome to the Animal Welfare Edition of WABC, Maria.
7: Well, thank you, Curtis and Nancy. Uh, I've had this question in my mind for a long time. How are these horses taken care of during the day? Horses are supposed to be out in fields, like Curtis says, playing, laughing, joking, having a good time. And I have a feeling that they, they never leave their stalls. And this would be completely horrible. I mean, totally illegal. What do you think?
1: Well, I think uh, I've been in the uh, stalls, in the stables. Uh, They have limited uh, room of movement. They do have these big fans that blow, but still, uh, it's um, not the kind of conditions that you would want to have any animals in. And then naturally, uh, they're eating and they're pooping and there's the smell and... The buildings are very old, very old. And it's time. It's time we move on.
10: Like, like, like to your point, Curtis, it's like, so the place where they're uh, residing in, that's after they spend their day uh, standing in these lines in Central Park waiting for riders. So that's their day, and then their nights are in these stalls.
1: Let's go to Jose calling from Castle Hill. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition at WABC. Jose.
8: Hi, Nancy. Hi, Curtis. Thank you. Uh, You know about the insect in the East Coast. uh, We don't have, they don't have no, no pesticide for that, for those insects. Normally in the East Coast, once it's September or once the weather gets down, lows down, you're not going to see them there's no they don't have, they don't harm nobody they don't they don't they don't they don't, they don't uh, destroy no structure so the best thing is to leave them alone leave them alone and about the horses curtis yes in the dominican republic we have horses because I'm from the dominican republic but they have strict laws for these horses in the dominican republic I'm from Santiago, and they have horses, but if the, if the person that takes care of them doesn't take care of them the proper way, the proper way, because we got laws, what happened is that they don't enforce these laws on the horses, they don't have no inspectors. And that's the problem. So I just let you go and thank you for letting
1: me call. My oh, yes, Jose. So and uh, uh, just uh, so people understand, uh, Nancy, you spotted a lantern fly on the windowsill, correct? Yes, correct. Correct. And then you took a picture of it. You sent it to me. But you chose not to do what the U.S. Department of Agriculture was telling people, which is see it, take a picture of it. Send it to us and then destroy it.
10: Yeah, because that was the first uh, story I had heard, where it just said, "Oh, they're invasive," and when you see them kill them, like I'm not going to take that advice because I'm not going to kill a living organism without doing my own research to figure out what's going on here. And it turns out that the research I did was, you know, appropriate enough to show that. This wasn't as threatening as they were saying, and now it's already come out that it really isn't that big of an issue. And, it's you know, and actually what's kind of curious too about this is that it's like the environment. So, uh, you know, so uh, basically this has uh, – this particular, uh, you know, lanternfly has only been in the United States for like under a decade, and they first spotted it, and so it's not – you know, uh, uh, based in the United States. But again, there, there wasn't a lot of research done to like, well, how did it get here? Why is it proliferating? And one of the, uh, two types of, uh, vegetation that it seems to exist on one of them is, uh, the little, you know, the, the shrubs that come up in, you know, between the, the s- sidewalk cement things. And it's like the same exact, um, vegetation that was featured in a book back in the day, A Tree Grows in Brooklyn. <laughs> so they're saying a quote-unquote invasive species is dining on an invasive vegetation, and none of the research is going into, well, why is it that they're here? And then also the the uberists to think that, oh, I, I know how to deal with this. We as people are going to just try to wipe out an entire species and then only after the fact figure out what's going on and how we're affecting the environment at large. Let's, very, very irresponsible behavior.
1: Let's go to Robert in Westchester. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Robert.
3: Okay, uh, both the horses and the, the, lan- the lantern flies. The lantern flies can be killed almost instantly with white vinegar or neem oil. Where do we have to spend all these millions of dollars for white vinegar or neem oil? I guess Chicken Little needs another <laughs> sky is falling. You know what I mean? Because he, he just he just constant goes on and on and on and on. And the skies falling, the skies falling, and it's, he just constantly embarrasses himself like this. In Westchester County, when we had the West Nile virus, the then county executive Andrew uh, Andrew Spano sprayed the whole place for West Nile. We did not see birds here. For five years after that. Why? Because the birds eat the insects and they kill all the insects. Almost all the insects were killed without spraying.
1: Well, you know, uh, Rob, they're starting to spray. Uh, They've detected the uh, mosquitoes in uh, Rye. They want to start spraying for West Nile virus. I'm sure that'll uh, go off to uh, Scarsdale and surrounding areas. Uh, they're doing it in uh, the Bronx and Queens and Staten Island, but you're, you're right. They they just flood, yeah. fog the area with pesticides.
3: Yeah, a natural a natural enemy of mosquitoes is bats. Bats have a bad reputa- reputation because of the Dracula movies, but these are little bats. The bats eat hundreds. Each of them eat hundreds of mosquitoes an hour. It's a natural predator, like a, like a cat to a mouse. That's an easy solution, but I guess it's too easy for people that are politicians that want to spend hundreds of millions of dollars to kill an insect.
1: Well, Robert, you're talking to uh, a guy who, as a young guy, used to go into the back of the Canarsie Cemetery, climb the elm trees, hang upside down with the bats who were sleeping during the day because they were nocturnal. So I, I actually observed the bats when they were awake, and he's absolutely right. Uh Canarsie at that time was on swampland. So particularly in the summer, there were a lot of mosquitoes. And those bats, they were like eating mosquitoes as long as they were awake. They were like a, vac- a Hoover vacuum cleaner when it came to the mosquitoes.
10: I mean, and again, it's like fear that uh, politicians are not now trying to bestow on the public at large. There's e- even through their own words, there's no indication that it's really harmful but they're not looking into maybe the deeper reason, like, oh, maybe there's a a predator that's not there. They're acknowledging it's not dangerous to people, animals. Maybe, possibly, it could hurt some uh, vegetation. The only vegetation it seems to be possibly affecting is uh, grapes, so it's like related to the vineyard industry. So all of a sudden, all this money being poured in out of nowhere, never heard nothing about it in New York State. And now all of a sudden it's this thing we have to address, you know, in a couple days or, like, you know, e- either you're on the team or you're not. It's like, wait a second, you, how do you not know any information about this? And then it turns out that they're really being wrong about it. They're incorrect. <laughs> they don't have the right information on it. So it's like, unfortunately for them, they're not a camouflage type of insect. It's very easy to spot them. So I think it makes them you know, easy prey for whatever sort of uh, political agenda is going on here. Let's
1: go to Levi in Queens. Uh, Welcome to the Animal Welfare Edition here at WABC, Levi.
3: Hey, how are you guys? I just want to know, like, what's the deal with, like, getting the cats off the streets and taking them to the vet and putting them back and feed them, not feed them? I mean, what's, what's the problem with having them around? I mean, they're not really bothering anyone. And also, aren't they a good deterrent against, like, rats and mice?
10: Yeah. So I would say um, it, the the issue with them being around is most of the time when uh, people are taking care of the outdoor cats and they are doing the right thing, they're getting them fixed, they're getting the shots, all that type of stuff. The cats that they're taking care of are living on, you know, some type of property that doesn't belong to them. Right. Because it's easy if it's your space in New York City a lot of them are more or less trespassers in wherever they're residing. And there have been people who have been, you know, people, groups, they take care of the cats, they do the right thing, they make sure they're not having kittens, they're fixed, they're, you know, healthy. And they'll be taking care of them for, like, years on end. But all of a sudden, whoever is the uh, landlord, the owner of the property, If there's a new owner and they say, oh, I don't really like the fact that, you know, there's cats here, and they don't recognize the benefits of the cats, all of a sudden they'll just, uh, you know, put a, you know, say, oh, you can't come here and feed them without really figuring out why they are there in the first place. And the problem is, like, when the people who are trying to address it, there's only so much recourse they have, right? So. If they can't go directly to the new owner or landlord, they might be shut out of you know sort of a pleading what it is that makes a lot of sense and then when they are kept out and then they reach out to the city or you know any of the the local officials a s p c a the shelter it i mean no one can help them because theoretically at this point the cats have no rights so When you're helping these cats who are basically trespassers on all public property, you're doing it at your own time and at your own expense. But when it comes down to it, when you reach out to the city for assistance, no one has your back. There's no one there to help protect. And that's really the shortfall. They're missing out on the logical reason as to why you want to bring all of these, let's face it, volunteers who are putting forward not only their time, but their money toward taking care and doing the right thing, they're actually putting all these people, you know, t- to sort of uh, you know operate on their own when they should be bringing them under a singular umbrella and giving these animals protection because people are doing it the right way. They're doing everything that needs to be done, and these cats are serving an important purpose.
1: Let's go to uh, Glenn calling from Glendale. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition of WABC.
2: Uh, howdy, Curtis. Um, I'm just calling about the problem on in Forest Park, Myrtle and Woodhaven. You go up to the playground, like right now, you'll be surrounded by skunks and raccoons. It is outrageous. You're talking about a 100-foot radius? You could see five skunks running all around right now. I go walking my dog up there, and I was wondering what the hell the city's going to do about this shit. Well,
1: well, uh, I tell you, uh, Glenn, uh, uh, last summer when I was running for mayor, I visited a number of uh, Polish-American families living in Glendale right along uh, the border there with Forest Park. And there were, like, families of skunks, and I had no problem going up to the skunks. People were warning me, Curtis, don't go up to the skunks. If they spray you, it doesn't matter how much you wash, how much you use alcohol. You know, like, uh, I'm known for using alcohol. It just, like, spritz myself to avoid ever getting COVID-19. And they kept insisting that that's what would happen. But I never had a problem with the family of skunks in Glendale. Never did. But I could understand uh, how they're growing in leaps and bounds, and uh, we got to work on uh, something about birth control, Nancy, for skunks and raccoons and, 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 and possums. And
10: exactly, that's the that's the entire focus right there. Any of these other things that have been approached before, and you know, the city has been trying to eradicate the rat population. They do all these weird ways. Any same thing like with with uh, you know feral cats. The idea of trying to take out certain animals, it doesn't change the fact that, you know, whoever's remaining and who's unfixed, they continue to have these animals. It's got to be birth control oriented. If all the focus was put on that, you're not going to be killing these, um, you know, animals at large. But what you're doing is you're making it where they're not going to procreate. And then, ultimately, that will lead to the lower population. That's the most humane. And not only beyond humane, it's the most logical approach. There's no way you could ever get it out because if, if you try to eradicate them all and you just left two, they're going to procreate forever. So you have to be very intelligent about the approach. It's the most humane way to approach this stuff. you got to focus on the birth control for all these animals
1: all right, we'll do appreciate it. Again, the Animal Welfare Edition, you can hear each and every Sunday from 11 to 12 as I finish my Quinella. But if people were interested in continuing the conversation with you or getting more information, how can they do that, Nancy?
10: Uh, well, they can uh, visit guardianangels.org or uh, email me directly at nancy at guardianangels.org.
1: Yeah, I understand there will be some kind of demonstration, I believe, on Tuesday to benefit the horses in the horse-drawn carriage uh, uh, field. And uh, we'll try to keep people informed on our social networking, our Facebook, uh, tweet it out, and also put it on uh, Instagram.
10: Absolutely, yeah. And, again, and and very thankful to be here every week to be able to discuss these issues with everybody.
1: All right. Well, you were right on point today when it came to the horse carriage industry. I like to be in
0: America. Okay, by me in America. Everything free in America.
1: For a small fee in
0: America.
1: Okay. So Everything free in America. That was out of the original West Side Story. I. Don't know if the cancel culture would allow a song like that today. But boy, that sure seems to be what's happening every morning now. There are buses pulling up to the Port Authority being sent here by Governor Abbott in Texas, Dominic Carter. And early this morning, John Katsimatidis had on my husband-in-law. Former <laughs> Governor David Patterson, and he said something that is definitely going to cause him grief amongst the Democrats in New York State.
2: Governor, uh, uh, the governor of Texas, Greg Abbott, has come up with, I think, is one of the most brilliant political strategies I've heard in a long time.
1: Now, you know, he got the call from the swagger man with no plan, Eric Adams, like, what? And from Governor Hochul who actually is now encouraging the uh, illegals to come to New York because she's saying, oh, we can use them upstate, the various farms, the dairies. I walk up and down the streets of Manhattan and Albany. I see there are signs, people needing uh, employees. These would be perfect.
6: This woman is just not dealing with reality. She's dealing with playing to a New York City base that she desperately needs, uh, in what, just a couple of months? Yes. And and now that doesn't mean that it's right. It's just, uh, politics. It's as simple as that. But, but, but I made the argument a while ago, Curtis, that Governor Abbott is winning this battle. Number one, he took what was a net negative for Texas and he's flipping it by making it now New York City's problem. And with New York City call comes all the media attention. And to me, Adams is, is It is not doing as well, public relations-wise, as Governor Abbott is.
1: Well, they set him up, and he walked right into the trap.
6: That's a good way to put it.
1: They knew he was live at 5. He was photo-op Eric Adams. And you could even see on the facial look of Abbott. Watch. Right. Come on down to the border. See for yourself. No. And then Eric Adams' response, well, I think I'm going to get on that greyhound. With a few of the illegals, we're going to go down there, start door knocking for Beta O'Rourke. And I mean, I saw smiles all galore. Like, first off, we hate New Yorkers down there, whoever they are. Secondly, that's a guarantee that Beta O'Rourke will not become the next governor of the state of Texas.
6: I, I don't even think O'Rourke will engage no. in that type of campaigning. No, because you know, he has self-destruct. Dist- that's right. He hasn't commented. <laughs> no, he
1: said, "Please, not really. I got a close race here. Don't do me any favors." And Adams does not seem to understand he can't talk his way out of this. No. The more he says, the worse he makes it. Because now, and you know this, the power of the media, because when you would go down and you had the ringside seat at City Hall, you have Telemundo, you have Univision, they have their local division, and they have their international division. And all this is playing throughout Mexico and Central America where Adams is acting like Mother Teresa, give me your tired, your poor, we're going to give you sanctuary, we're not bad like habit. And so when they come across that border, where do they want to come?
6: Right. Now, New York, the shelter, the food stamps, the the, whatever the case may be, uh, maybe not food stamps the moment they arrive, but certainly the shelter. And they're not asked for ID. This is amazing.
1: They're not asked for ID any point of the way. They're not vaccinated. All the things that a citizen has to go through. Right. Nothing applies to the illegal aliens. They're going to be put up at five-star hotels, three squares a day. Anywhere they want to go, the mayor is saying, oh, if you don't want to stay here because there's too much crime. Remember, a few of them were saying, hey, boy, this is a dangerous place. There are a lot of bad hombres in the shelters. (laughs) He said, oh, well, we'll pay for you to go somewhere else.
6: Right, right. Where the hell does he think he's going to get this money from? Right, right, right. Because Biden can't give it to you. Because if Biden gives you the money, then Texas is going to say and Arizona is going to say, wait a minute. You've got money for New York, but not for the folks that are dealing with this on the front line.
1: Boy, Eric Adams has really dug himself a hole. By the way, just so you know, I was the first to report it earlier today when the buses came in at 7. He wasn't there to meet him because he was in Martha's Vineyard fundraising for the mayoral election 2025. He's already raised a million dollars in seven months. He hasn't done anything. (laughs) He was in Martha's Vineyard. I, I didn't know. Oh, wow. The brothers and sisters have taken it over. They pushed the Kennedys out. That's the new black mecca, you know, in the summers. They have the, uh, film festival. Uh, Spike big, Lee. Yeah, but they, 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 they debuted the, the documentary about your friend, some Chady Sharpton called Big Mouth. And that's certainly what he had. A big mouth.